All right, welcome. My guest today is um, a repeat guest. We have David Kim again from Contend, director of Contend Ministries in Colorado Springs. Um, I asked David to come on because today is the day after the fiasco at the Capitol building. My social media page blew up today with you know every leftist that I know basically condemning Trump and Trump supporters and all this kind of stuff and um, and I do know a lot of people are struggling right now. A lot of people are you know who had hope that Trump would be reelected. Um, a lot of them are reeling. Um, I I watched a number of feeds and interviews and just people like so angry, a lot of anger. A lot of people are angry at Pence. Holy cow. And um, just a lot of people bitter, bitter at the Republican Party, all sorts of stuff. And a lot of people discouraged and confused. And so I wanted to bring you on to talk about it because um, I trust your insight. You're somebody that, um, you know, I, I trust you in the spirit. You're a man of prayer. You're a man who cares about what's going on. Your writing, I just got to say, bro, there has been an anointing on your writing. And we're going to feature more of your writing, God willing, um, on our website and stuff. But I want to bring you on to talk about it. Let's let's talk about all of this. So. Question number one, is it over for Trump? Is he done? Like, is, is God's plan done for him? Is he done being president? And what does this mean for America? Yeah. Um, first of all, thanks for having me on the on the show again. I know yeah. uh, for those of you guys who don't know, you know, the, the history that Dennis and I have in prayer back from Berkeley days till now. And I think, you know, I'm encouraged that God is you know, even in this time, God's preparing voices, you know, and like Dennis. And, and so I'm encouraged to be on this, uh, on the, on the podcast. Um, you know, I think this is a question that, you know, a lot of people are asking and right now, just as it stands, January 7th, um, the votes, the electoral college votes have been certified. Uh, Trump released a video saying he will commit to a peaceful transition of power. And I know a lot of analysts are wondering, is that a concession? Is that just a statement? Uh, and I know there's a lot of leaders, you know, um, prophetic leaders who, you know, on one hand, you know, are saying it's not over. On the other hand, you know, are beginning to release, you know, either apologies or explanations. Um, and so there's a lot going on right now and a lot to process. Um, and I think, you know, on one hand, from a, an official standpoint, unless there's some you know, kind of miraculous intervention, you know, that I don't know about in, 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 in civics, um, you know, Joe Biden is on his way to become the next president of the United States of America, um, regardless of allegations of fraud or free and fair elections, you know, foreign interference, whatever it might be. Um, that's, that's what it's looking like. Um, and, uh, on the other hand, you know, uh, uh, you're seeing massive backlash now from a lot of Republican leadership against Trump, um, you know, in the face of, you know, not just what happened yesterday, but election results and things like that. And I think on one hand, um, there's there's a, ver a variety of ways, I think, you know, prophetic leaders are interpreting this series of events. You know, Jeremiah Johnson released an article, you know, saying why he believes things went the way that they did. And he attributes things, um, you know, uh, such as conditional things, you know, that he's released in the past and, you know, and, and et cetera. Um, but uh, uh, I think one of the things that is the most um, dramatic right now um, that I can see, uh, and I was talking to a couple of leaders about this, is that this soundbite of particularly yesterday will be replayed forever 
Um, yeah. Uh, and 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 that narrative, you know, I think you know uh, from my friends who were there, they said they were estimating a million five uh, people were there. Wow. Um, and that you know that group at the Capitol might have only been you know uh, a, a very small percentage of that, and then even a smaller percentage who actually you know broke into the building um, or and overran the Capitol, so to speak. But that image, you know, has has gone out, and I think. You know, it would be difficult, you know, for any politician or any movement to uh, uh, recover from something like that. Um, and, and I think it's really clear uh, from the past 12 months, even the past four to six years, um, that the media has had a stronghold on the narrative in the nation. And so yeah. on that sense, I feel like, you know, um, we're going to have to deal with that um, and, and that the 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 fight against the media so to speak or to correct the narrative or however it might be is is an ongoing thing you know um a lot of my friends who were in dc at the time felt extremely misrepresented um uh uh because of what they reported them being a part of and what they were seeing and things like that and so i think going back to me personally it is it, trump finished you know it's it certainly from a legal perspective it seems like it uh, from a natural media perspective and public opinion perspective it seems like it um, but I, I do, you know, want to hold, you know, my hand open to the possibility of other things that may be happening. Um, uh, 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 you know, obviously we prayed for him. We contended for him. I still believe, I still have no regrets on, on my stand, uh, 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 and, you know, in the election. Um, but we, we do have to grapple with the reality of the situation now, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, let me, let me you know, comment a little bit on, on my perspective here before I turn it back over to you. You know, I think, um, first of all, I got, look, I have no problem if Biden's president. Okay. Look, I, when Obama was president, I was, uh, I was upset. And then, you know, and then I gave myself to praying for him and I'm contending for revival no matter what, right. Whether it's Biden or, or Trump or whatever. And, um, you know, the, the one thing is I prayed yesterday about all of this is we have to be on our guard against um, bitterness, against losing faith in the Lord specifically, Absolutely. right? Um, against you know that type of discouragement and all of that kind of stuff. I think there is a danger if we've put our faith in Trump specifically. I think we're going to be shaken more, right? And I think that's a sign. If our faith was rooted in Trump rather than the Lord, look, Trump is a tool in God's hand. Right, but it's God. It He's the one that we have our faith in. So, I simply say this: if Trump is done as president and Biden's in, that's fine. Whatever. Right. I must keep contending for revival, and I still believe that God's going to do. Um, I think God's going to bring a great revival. But all that being said, bro, I actually don't feel like Trump's done. I feel like we're still in this battle. I still think that um, this to me feel it just feels like God. It feels like God that he would wait until it seems like there's no hope, like there's no human remedy, you know, like it, Trump can't take credit for this at this point, right? right? If, you know, and it would be a miracle. If there's a miracle, okay, Trump's not going to get any of the credit. Um, right. You know, nobody's going to get credit. And a lot of people are going to, they're, they're not going to say, oh, it's because I kept faith in Trump or something like that, right? No, none of that is going to work. It's going to have to, it's going to be more obvious that it's the Lord. And I, I still have real hope in that, you know, like right. I, I have real hope. Yeah. And I, I just to go off of that too. And I think, I think the, you know, first of all, I think all the allegation of, 
you know, this was Christian nationalism on display, you know, this was, you know, um, I, the golden calf on display, you know, I, I think that's those accusations are, 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 are just, you know, um, they're folly, right? Yeah. They're, they're totally, um, they lack so much base, you know, because I think the great majority of us who, 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 who saw why Trump was clearly the preferred option in this election, uh, we had no faith in him. You know, we, we saw how God might use him in comparison to Biden or Harris. And so I know it's obvious, but I think it needs to be said in context of this conversation, you know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with, with that said, I, I think, you know, my comment on what you just shared about Trump is if Trump was to get reelected and on Inauguration Day, it is Donald Trump. This is this is the path. I think, you know, I think you and I have had many conversations about how Obviously, we feel like Trump is, you know, is is in many ways, you know, is fit for what God wants to do at this hour. But we've also talked about how we are concerned about certain aspects of his character. We're concerned about certain aspects of his uh, 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 narcissism, his selfishness, his um, all these things, his pride, you know. And sure. and I think, you know, and there were many, you know, words or many people, leaders who were saying that, you know, part of the condition uh, of 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 Trump's either re-election or just continued leadership or you know success in leadership was going to be him humbling his heart, yeah. right? And I think you know this you know if if anything uh, this is what is happening you know yeah. and 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 it is you know I, I'm I don't know him personally you know obviously and I don't, I'm not very well connected to people who may actually personally know him either I, I hear things filter down, but this could just be one of those moments you know uh, in yeah. 2016. Uh, 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 the first person that Donald Trump called after he found out that he won the election in 2016 was James Robeson, uh, who is a pastor. Um, and he he said he called him and said, James, thank you for your prayers. There's no way this could have happened except for the church who prayed for me. And apart from God, this is a miracle. Thank you wow. so much for praying for me. And so you see that even in 2016 and that kind of miracle kind of, you know, thing that happened. Uh, uh, there was a humbling of the heart, right? And this may be what God is doing right now to Donald Trump um, in, in a more severe way. Um, yeah. And, and if it bears fruit, then, you know, I, I think that's part of or can be part of that process. Yeah, I'm 100% with you. Like, honestly, this could have been the best thing to happen because I think the biggest danger was Donald Trump getting too, you know, confident in his own leadership yeah. And, and and getting, frankly, just drunk on power. There's a real danger because, look, he has a lot of power right now, okay? He has huge sway over vast segments of the Republican Party, and he can, he can abuse that, right? Yeah. There's a real danger of that. So, you know, for Trump to get humbled and then to step into his second term in a more humbled position, I think that that, that would be so much better. And so that's... That's definitely what I'm hoping for. Okay, David. Before we jump into ramifications here, either way, I do want us to touch on prophecy because, um, you know, this um, most of the church in America, first of all, doesn't believe in prophetic ministry, right? right? They don't believe in prophecy, and so when they see all of these prophecies for Trump, to them, it's just fodder, right? It's like, oh my God, these crazy charismatics, and um. You know, and then you have all this mocking, right? You have that Angels from Africa video. I don't know if you saw that with Paul White, right? With the dancing cat and everything. It was, I'm sorry, it was so funny, like with the cat on there and everything, right? So, but look, the spirit of mockery is all over this thing, right? right. And right now we are in a place where Jeremiah Johnson has publicly apologized. 
Chris Valentin has publicly apologized. Um, there are others that are refusing to apologize and saying, nope, it's not done. But here we are in what seems like this could be the end for, for you know, it could be the end, potentially. And right. um, what does this mean for the state of prophetic ministry? What, you know, what happened here? Yeah. You know, and I, I obviously, I can't, you know, I'm, I'm not anywhere near, you know, qualified to judge a lot of these things that are happening. But I think, you know, for me personally, first and foremost, you know, regardless of the outcome, I I do think, you know, the Bible says we see in part and hear in part, right? And part of what Jeremiah said was I may have interpreted some of the conditions, you know, in, in a wrong way, or at least communicated them in a wrong way. Uh, and then others are holding out, as, as, as you've said. Um, and I think for me personally, you know, and I think, you know, my encouragement to anyone who's listening to this is never to be jaded on the prophetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and I think I think that's just an important concept is not to be jaded on the prophetic. And part of what helps that is is accountability. Um, but I think, you know, where the enemy can come in is to just, uh, 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 how do you put it, just sow jadedness and unbelief into hearts of many believers. Um, and I think right. uh, that would be devastating because when we're looking, you know, at the end time church as described in the book of Revelations throughout scripture, um, there is no escaping that it will be the most prophetic generation on the earth. Um, and and Joel 2 talks about, In the last days I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your old men and your old women shall dream dreams, even you know your maidens shall prophesy, right? And so, you know, man, woman, every class of life, there's going to be a prophetic spirit poured out on them. But the thing that keeps us from... You know, participating in that is in the Book of Romans. It says we prophesy in proportion to our faith, and so when our faith gets undercut, it's actually going to keep us from walking in the dimension of prophetic accuracy and authority and purity that we're going to need uh, in the times to come. I believe that the prophetic is more necessary than ever to navigate what's to come. You know, part of so much of the clamor that I see on social media, it's just, you know, nice sayings, the right thing to say, you know, culturally relevant things to say. There are few things that grip me as prophetic, you know, and, and I know that sounds very intangible, you know, and there's, I know and there's ways to describe the prophetic, but what I'm talking about specifically, you know, uh, uh, of course there's biblical, you know, truth. There's, you know, there's a line with the Bible, you know, is, is there a council that confirms it? But, but that kind of authority that grips us, and, and you know what I'm talking about, and maybe some of the listeners know as well, where it hits you and your spirit stands at attention because there's a different weight that's what's lacking today, you know, in so many ways. And I and I honor mothers and fathers who've walked in that and have carried that and stewarded that. But on, on a large scale in America, we've lost that prophetic voice. So I think, you know, part of what's necessary, you know, is going to be, you know, real accountability, uh, a, a real honesty, um, but also great faith, you know. And re- with regards to these words regarding President Trump, I think there's a number of things. I think there's certain things that may have been misinterpreted or the conditions were miscommunicated. I do agree. Um, I'm inclined to agree with um, Michael Brown, who said, "But one excuse that the prophets can't make this time around is that we didn't pray enough." Because I, I, when I look at how much prayer happened uh, leading up to this election and past this election, and even till now, possibly more organized prayer than we have ever experienced. Uh, uh, um, at least, you know, in many people from their vantage points, their lifetimes, you know, who are much older than I am or we are. And so I don't think that can be used as an excuse. And so there is a dimension to prophecy in which we see in part and hear in part. And I do think, you know, 
it's it's too early to tell. I know some people are apologizing already, but I think it is too early to tell. I mean, people were telling prophets to apologize on October 4th, you know, and then it, it was December 14th, you know, and then it's now. And then, uh, but I think, you know, whoever, you know, is actually, you know, inaugurated as president of the United States of America, that at that point, then we can really begin to judge these words and say, where were we wrong? Did we hear wrong? Did we, were we, did we have wrong application, interpretation, things like that? But I think the general, you know, encouragement that we need to have is that we should never get jaded uh, on the prophetic, you know. Um, and I know sure. that there's a, there might be a big temptation to do that, you know, because sure. of, of the circumstances right now. Yeah, you know, like um, just to help people, because I, I, you know, I'm, I've been a pastor for a while of young adults, and I know that people who are young adults, they're like trying to honor the prophetic. Um, but look, if you're walking the prophetic long enough, you're going to run into words that are off. Okay, like that happens all the time. And so learning how to discern, because this is what the scriptures tell us, it teaches us we have to judge prophetic words, right? right? And I think if we're honest, we're bad at judging prophetic words as a body, okay? The way my paradigm for the prophetic in, in um, American, you know, the American church is that we as a body are very immature still. Like we're very immature at this whole prophecy thing, learning how to judge words, um, and, and the idea of judging words is that you can have a word that's partially correct and partially incorrect, right? And you can have, um, you know, you can have words that are mysterious, and they're supposed to be mysterious, and you can have words that are um, poorly given, right? Like, I appreciate um, a lot of the effort that, that serious prophets do to give their relative level of certainty on a word, to say, hey, this is what the Lord said, and this is what I think it might mean. I, like, those types of things, I think, are very helpful. For me personally, you know, um, you know, like, a guy like Jeremiah Johnson, first of all, I have tremendous respect for him. Tremendous respect. I think he, he has been amazing over the past couple years, especially. When that guy gets a dream, I'm paying attention to that, and I'm praying into that dream, because his dreams have been phenomenal, right? But to be honest, when he just speaks off the cuff or like, hey, I feel this, I have less regard for that. Does that make sense? And I think that's right, right? Like that's a different, there's different levels of prophetic revelation, right? right. If you get an open vision or a dream, that's a stronger word than, hey, I just feel I have this impression right now and I feel right. this, right? So, you know, I don't, I don't think Jeremiah Johnson ever got a specific dream that, that Trump would be reelected, did he? He had a dream in which um, three things were going to happen. Um, the Los Angeles Dodgers were going to win the World Series. Um, the second was that Amy Coney Barrett would get confirmed. And the mm -hmm. third part of that dream was that Donald Trump would be reelected to a second term. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah, there was a dream there. Yeah. So that, that makes me even a little bit more confident that Trump will get back on. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I just, I, I just say this, you know, kind of jokingly. But honestly, those things matter to me, okay? Um, Dutch Sheets, I really trust that guy, right? Yeah. Rick Joyner, I really trust those guys. They're a little bit, they're a little bit older, a little more seasoned, right, yeah. in their prophetic ministry. So I trust their judgment on a lot of things. And again, none of these people are, are infallible. All of these people can be wrong. Um, and so, like I said, if they're all missing it, that's fine. Whatever, we move on. We grow as a body. We get better and better at discerning. I feel like... This whole episode is really serving with combined with COVID. It's really serving to purify the body of Christ in a lot of ways. Because look, a lot of people have missed it. You know, I'm talking more about like low level prophetic words, right? Yeah. A lot of low level prophetic words have have missed it on this stuff, and it's good. It's exposing 
some of the stuff that um, you know we all know has been in the charismatic church for a long time, right? right. Where it's always health, wealth, and prosperity. And God's always pouring out blessings everywhere, and this is your season of blessing. This is the season of promotion and upgrade. Yeah. And um, yeah, this year kind of flew in the face of all of those things, right? right? right. So I think there was a right humbling of a lot of very casual prophecy that, you know, is really coming from a, a, a wrong spirit, if that makes sense. But right. from a personal standpoint, I'm still in, let's wait and see. Who knows? Like, I'm more than happy if we get a year down the line and Biden is president, I'm more than happy to say, look, they were off, clearly, that's fine, right? right. But I think I, I think it merits a little more time personally, okay? Yeah. Um, and one, one thing I'll just add tack on is one of the things that Lou has always told me, and there's anyone who has faced more disappointment. I don't know anyone who's faced more disappointment than Lou Engel. Yeah. I navigated those seasons with such godliness, you know, yeah. and I, I've seen his weakness, you know, just being close to him, but, but his humility, you know, and his refusal to get bitter and his refusal to get jaded. One of the things he always has said to me was, um, he said, David, I would rather go down believing. Yeah. I'd rather go down believing, yeah. you know, and there's something to that, right? Like there's something to that refusal to, 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 to get jaded, to get bitter, to get disappointed, you know, uh, I mean, we'll all get disappointed, but to turn that into cynicism or jadedness and, sure. you know, and, and, um, you know, I, I so honor that man. And, and yeah. I, I believe that his eyes will see what he's been contending for. I mean, he's been praying the same prayers for the last 35, 40 years. So I got no excuse. Yeah. You know, you know, and so this is a special time. This is a different season in American history. But, you yeah. know, I think for, you know, maybe some of the listeners who are younger um, and this might be one of their first maybe jarring, struggling, wrestling moments with the prophetic. You know, I can look to point to someone like that who's been in it for 45, 50 years and say it's hard to stay tender. And, yeah. and if we can keep our hearts tender, we'll make it. Yeah. That's great. Honestly, that's great advice, right? Yeah, that's that's the clearest word that I have just from my own heart. I'm not a prophet by any stretch of the means, but I, I know the Lord really you know, put upon my heart yesterday, encourage people, don't give in to despair, to bitterness, to jadedness. Don't let any of that stuff get in your heart, okay? Um, our faith is in the Lord, and He hears every prayer, right? He is a righteous judge, and no one is going to get away with anything. And I know people are struggling with all this disappointment. They feel like this fraud thing, like they're going to get away with it again, right? Yeah. And nobody will get away with anything, even if we have to wait till final judgment, okay? I, I think we're going to have justice, you know, uh, in part before that on some of these issues. But even if we wait till final just final judgment, even if we're like Jeremiah, right, who kept the faith, who preached faithfully, right? He was imprisoned. He was rejected by his nation. Everything he said came to pass, right? But he kept faith. And even if that's our fate, then let's let's do it, right? Yeah. Let's maintain joy and peace, you know, all the way, you know, until the end. Right, 100%. I'm with Come on, you. man. All right, so here's the follow-up question then, all right? Yeah. Hypothetically, Trump is done, his presidency at least, Biden and Harris are in. What does that mean for Christian? What's the Christian response to a Biden-Harris presidency? Is there going to be massive healing? Is it now time for healing? <laughs> yeah. I, you know, this is a, it's a great question, you know, and it's, you know, I think we're not there yet in one sense. It's not January 21st and we know what's happening. But at the same time, 
what it appears is the Democrats control the House, the Democrats control the Senate, and the Democrats control the executive. Now, they don't control the judicial, but, you know, uh, there's rumors of court packing and things like that. And so, really, in one sense, you know, our, our at this moment, you know, on a political level, our, our hands are, are, you know, seem pretty tight. Um, I, I think there's, there's a couple of things, you know, to be said about this, I think, you know, number one, you know, obviously our, our faith is in another kingdom that won't be shaken. Like my faith for revival, you know, doesn't change. Um, I think, you know, that there's still can be a mass harvest of souls and a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I think my primary concern, you know, at this point is, is, is not, I mean, someone asked me recently, they said, did you feel like this when Obama was elected in 08? What's well, different about Biden, you know, and you know, it's a world of a difference, literally. Um, we are living in a completely different world. You know, in 2008, when when Obama was elected, you know, there was the financial crisis, um, but, you know, by and large, you know, uh, and, you know, and America was starting to get weary because of the wars in the Middle East and stuff, but by and large, you know, America still had, you know, a sense of, of global, you know, uh, supremacy um, and hegemony. Um, by and large, there was peace. By and large, all these factors, right? And and now, you know, in 2020, it's it's a completely different scene. Um, China has come on the scene. Iran is now ramping up um, as a as a rogue state. Um, uh, 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 Pakistan and India are having increasing conflict. The the Russia is emboldened. I mean, we're looking at a completely different world. And 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 also, we're not looking. You know, when President Obama came in in 08. He was elected on the ticket of, I believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. He he said, I, I will never, you know, uh, uh, increase abortion uh, access. You know, that's how he ran. That's how he was elected. And obviously, within eight years, it was, you know, the complete opposite. Now, Biden is coming in with a radical left movement behind him. So I think we're in a completely different situation. And I think what it means for our nation if Biden and Harris are elected is, you know, obviously for Christians individually, you know, we have peace no matter what, you know, and that's, you know, I feel like a lot of people are saying that these days and it's true, but as a nation, um, uh, 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 I, I believe that we're headed into some in increasingly difficult times. Um, I think, I don't think the, the extreme right will just be quiet um, or the extreme left. I, I think this will increase. Um, and I, I, I had written about this before, but I, I think, you know, we'll move fairly rapidly down into the radical left agenda um and i just even today i was talking with a couple people is i, I would not be surprised because the left has already been displaying kind of a soft totalitarianism restricting free speech all that kind of stuff i wouldn't be surprised because of an event like january 6th if rapidly now gun control rapidly now you know free speech i mean already you're being censored you know for insinuating uh, election fraud because they trace that now to January 6th uh, and what happened mm -hmm. at the Capitol. And so these things are going to start rolling in. And before we know it, this is my expectation, you know, we'll be increasingly, you know, uh, 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 in a difficult place as, as a nation. Yeah. And as Twitter, a church, we'll, Twitter yeah. canceled President Trump. They literally shut down his Twitter account. Yeah. And Facebook the, and Instagram. Have the an president of the United States. Yep. And it's not going to stop there. You know, it, he, he's the most visible, but anyone who agrees with them and stuff like that, uh, it, it's it's going to increase, you know. And here's the thing. People are rejoicing that that First Amendment rights are being taken. People are rejoicing. I mean, I can imagine, 
you just need one more gun incident and then gun control comes in and it's it's a clean slate because there's no opposition maybe the supreme court is the last buffer and this is not a fear-mongering thing this is legitimately i mean you this is what they've been talking about doing right. you know it's it's already there you know it's all out in the open um and i i think we'll probably move pretty rapidly in that direction and i think this puts the church at a hard place because i think on one hand you have half the church not half, but you have a, a part of the church that's for survival's sake and relevancy's sake. They're embracing Marxism. They're embracing all this stuff. They're being neutral on politics. And you have that side, you know, just to stay in a place of relevancy or not being canceled. And then you have, you know, more of those who have been standing up for truth. And I think, you know, that will force us to come into a rock and hard place. Biden said that they're going to sign the Equality Act in the first hundred days. I think we talked about it on the last podcast. That means, you know, churches, you know, very quickly, you know, religious freedoms are going to disappear in the in favor of sexual liberty, you know, um, which is, you know, not what our founders intended. And so we're going to see this, you know, rapid thing. I think it'll be just difficult to be a Christian, especially if you're unprepared. Um, and there's various difficulties, you know, um, that I see presenting themselves. So, you know, I'm deeply concerned. I've talked about my concerns already. Um, we're also in a transitional moment in American history where we're not in the same place that we were, like I was saying, in the Obama years even, or the Clinton years. Um, you know, in many ways, you know, there are many geopolitical people, you know, leaders or theorists who are saying the Pax Americana is coming to an end, yeah. that the Cold War with China has already, that was, it started, you know, last year in 2020. And so if this increases, you know, this, this disrupts life at every level. And so oh, yeah. this illusion of now that Biden and Harris are elected, we can move on to healing. I don't think we can ever go back. I think, yeah. and not because of January 6th. That's what a lot of people are saying. January 6th, we can never go back because of what happened at the Capitol. No, I look back to summer 2020 with the riots and the protests. I look back to, you know, the, the continuous polarization of America and, and calling 72 to 73 million people deplorables, you know, and I'm not saying the right had it right as well. I mean, it, it went back and forth, right? And so we, we've we already, in some sense, crossed a, a threshold as a, as a society. And so I don't have time to, you know, go into all that, but I, I think we're headed into some extremely difficult times. For sure. For sure. Oh, yeah. It's, look, I, I, I've been telling people, Gavin Newsom, considers the church in California, he's the governor of California, he considers the church inessential. He said that the church is high risk, low reward, right? That I am, I get why Gavin Newsom thinks that. That's not the big problem. The problem is that Christians think the church is inessential, right? right. Attendance is at an all-time low, right, at these churches where I'm, where I'm seeing all around here. Right? I don't know how it is in Colorado. I bet it's similar, right? That's the problem right now. It's the incredibly weak state of the church, Right, I I listened to a um, you know Mar Mario Murillo was talking about he's setting up to do a tent crusade, and he's out there proclaiming God can heal you. Right, you don't have to be afraid of this. The problem isn't that the state is coming back and saying, hey, you can't do that because you're spreading disease because we don't believe your words. The problem is the church, right. <laughs> the church is leading the attack on guys like Mario Murillo saying God does not heal anymore. He won't heal. And in fact, if you preach the gospel in the midst of a pandemic, you're spreading the disease and you're evil. Sure. So literally, it's the 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 faith of the church is so low now yeah. that can we fight an aggressive state that is, you know, uh, fully under this this cultural marxist 
ideology. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a bit skeptical that most of the church where I'm at is going to launch any kind of resistance or have much resistance at all. But here's the good news. But you do see pockets of resistance, right, springing up. You see backbone coming. And, you know, I thank God the churches all over America are not just like the churches in California, right? Thank God it does seem to me that there are a lot of small churches where there is some backbone here. And the question, you know, how do we prepare for a potential civil war? And let me be really clear here, okay? I am not saying that we're planning to start a civil war, okay? I, just to be really clear. All right. No, but if a civil war is coming, how do we prepare for something like that? Right. No, I mean, these are all extremely, I think, critical things to understand that you've brought up, right? It, it, the state of the church isn't such a... It, it's it's it never, I think, has it been more true in our lifetimes, there was a famine of the word of the Lord, yeah. right? The, there's mass deception mass confusion because you did not love the truth the bible says i gave you over to a spirit of delusion right and right. you know i mean and there's so many things that you know you can point to there's mass biblical literacy you know there's a certain level of jadedness that, with the church that you know the church has to own up to because of you know you know you know uh, hypocrisy or, or sin or scandals or things like that and uh, but all that doesn't you know excuse the individual's you know <laughs> believers, you know, uh, mm. a responsibility to commit to a life of discipleship, you know, with the Lord. Um, but, you know, we're, we're in a hard place right now. And like you, I, I feel a sense of helplessness or skepticism where I'm like, can the church in mass rise up? You know, on one hand, I'm like, man, the, the you know, if I, if I were to look at the enemy's tactics and how he's sown those seeds of deception and sown you know, the seeds of unbelief and whatever not, um, you know, and, 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 and moral compromise, but also, you know, ideological compromise. Um, it, it, it almost seems helpless, you know, because these things are, are, are coming to maturity, you know, and I, I have to hope that along with the tares, there's wheat that are also going to mature, you know, the, the true church at this hour, the, the remnant, so to speak, um, that there are yet 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to, to bail, right? And, and I think, one of the things, and we we prayed together, you know, leading up to the election, and 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 we actually prayed in person together for a portion of it. Uh, but uh, you actually, while you were here, I was I was, and I the whole time during 21 days we were praying and fasting and asking the Lord, Lord, Lord God, give us a word. Um, it doesn't even have to be about President Trump. Just give us a word. Uh, and one of the things I sensed so strongly was in the next two to four years, it is critical to raise up reformers. You know, yeah. and. I didn't have a connotation to reformers. Um, it wasn't like, you know, I was thinking of, you know, Geneva and, and Germany, you know, in the 1500s, 1600s. Um, and I wasn't necessarily thinking of kind of what the charismatic world calls reformers, you know. Uh, but it was it was a deep sense of, of, of leaders who had clarity of voice to articulate the word of the Lord. Um, yeah. it, it, you know, and, and I feel that right now, even when I was talking with our team recently with Contenta, since all of our resources, equipping, discipleship, our in-person schools, everything that we do, when we do a one-night event, we have to have the mindset, yes, we're going to catalyze prayer, we're catalyzing, I mean, that's everything that we've always done, consecrated lifestyle, but we need to equip believers on worldview. We need to equip them on how to grapple and wrestle with the issues today. I, I love what Lou said years ago. 
Nobody is targeting false ideologies through massive fasting and prayer, right? And so there's this 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 contending aspect in which you know the Jews says contend uh, for the faith which has been once and for all handed down to the saints, right? There's so much mixture and confusion in the body of Christ, and I believe right now the the preparation that's needed is for believers to get in the Word of God, to get equipped. Uh, Camille Paglia, who's who's a uh, well known. A professor, uh, uh, LGBT, um, uh, 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 and and she comments on the cycles of history. She's the one famous for noting that transgenderism, uh, when a society it happens throughout world history and the history and the rise and fall of civilizations, when a society or an empire or whatever accepts transgenderism, it is the last phase of moral decadence before the collapse of that empire or kingdom or civilization. She's noted this with with glee. But she said that she says the reason that communism and socialism with Glee, she said this, uh, um, it, it, it can come into young people in America is because they don't know their history. And I think yeah. we have to understand history. We have to understand the word of God and we have to get wisdom. You know, with all that getting, get wisdom. It is more precious than rubies and gold and silver. Right. And so I think, yep. you know, this is part of that preparation in which the remnant, you know, um, yes. needs to. They need to get the word of the Lord. They need to become prophets at this hour. It was during the days of Jezebel that Elijah raises up the school of the prophets. And this is what came to me recently. During the days of Jezebel and Jezebel's intimidation, that's when Elijah raises up the school of the prophets. It was a prophetic company, not just one man, but a prophetic company that after Elijah, they were the next generation to turn all of Israel back to God. And, and that's what we need yes. right now. And I feel, I feel like intensely burdened to to be part of that preparation process because there is so much deception, you know, and there's so much of this thing in the church right now. Let's be popular or relevant. And I know the church has preached out against that so many times, but when it really, when rubber really hits the road and you're facing real criticisms uh, from a lot of different camps, you're, who are calling you this and that and that and that, you know, we need backbone. We need to know that we receive the word of the Lord and that's how we're going to stand, you know? And so, yeah. uh, and I know that's Amen. what you're into as well. Oh, yeah. Look, I, I think what's happening right now is the church is being exposed. Okay, We are being massively exposed, and it's for the best. It is a good thing. Okay, I've been talking about this in our prayer meetings. I felt this impression from the Lord about the vine dresser, right? Jesus is the vine. The Father is the vine dresser who prunes the vine. He prunes the dead branches, and that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. Right when the dead branches are pruned, and that is what is happening right now, in my opinion, in the American church, dead branches are being pruned, and and I have a massive hope, brother. I have a massive hope. The pressure that is coming upon the church is going to activate the callings inside of us. And I don't, yeah. I don't know about you. For me, you know, I I felt a, a deep sense of calling and burden for the revival of America, but the structure of the church has been such a, such a difficulty. It's like in the way, if that makes sense. And, yeah, and I just feel like um, the way is being made for massive reformation in the church right now. Yeah. Right? We're seeing the exposure of celebrity pastors, right? Guys like Bill Hybels. Bill Hybels was maybe the one of the most, if not the most respected pastor in America in in a, in a lot of ways, right? right. Maybe, maybe um, you know, the, the purpose-driven church guy. You know, right. maybe he, he, he's, he's way up there too. But Heibel is way up there. For him to be disgraced, Carl Lentz, 
step down. I just feel like there's this general awakening, like, hey, these priorities that we have had, because these are the guys that would have been invited to speak at all the most prestigious conferences the day, you know, before they were exposed, right? Mm-hmm. But all of this stuff is exposing the church, and there we've got to return to a place of serious Christianity, yep. and that's that's what this is about, right? Like, look, at most churches that I go to, you have serious Christians there. But what it is, the serious Christians are literally carrying the rest of the church on their back, right? They're leading the small groups, they're leading the prayer meetings, they're leading all this stuff, and they're trying to be faithful, and they're burning out, they're dying because they're trying to carry these ministries on their back backs because they're being used. If I can be if I can be blunt for a second, they're being used by ambitious pastors and elders and church leaders who want big ministries and in many cases are using their faithful saints to carry the burden, right, of caring for all of these people and trying to drag them, right, you know, through this Christian walk. And look, I know this is not the case everywhere. I'm speaking in big generalities. But the heart that I have is, man, I can't wait for the body of Christ to be free, to go after God in a serious way, to train seriously, and to get rid of all of this garbage pressure that is on the church right now to grow in numbers and to have nice buildings. All of that to me is garbage, okay? We don't need all of these giant buildings, okay? We don't need all these finances and these, you know, like, I'm not saying we don't need any finances, but we have more than enough of all that kind of stuff. What we are lacking is the holiness and the power of God. And for God's sakes, if we can have a movement in the church that radically transforms the expression of the church, then this is a success, okay? Then this is a success. And everything that has happened in the past year and the persecution that might be coming full force I say, you know, look, and I, I want to say this humbly because none of us have been through serious persecution before, okay? The persecution that I face is, you know, like nothing compared to biblical persecution and the persecution that people face all the time in other countries in the world. But I'm just saying, man, I can't wait for a church that is seriously glorious to arise in America. Yeah. And that's, and because of that, brother, I actually have so much hope, man. Yeah. I have so much hope that God is going to use these momentary afflictions, these trials, whatever suffering might be coming. I, I don't want to say this, you know, I, nobody wants persecution, right? But if persecution has to come, then I'm so hopeful that it would result in a glorious church and a glorious bride rising up. And that remnant, I believe there is a righteous remnant. That's what this whole thing is about. We're not saying that we are the righteous remnant. We're calling forth prophetically a righteous remnant to arise in the nation. And I believe there are, you know, proportionally, I think 7,000 is a proportion. I think there is a remnant that God has been training in secret training, meaning they're, you know, they're not famous, but they have been faithful in all the small ways and that God has been preparing them. And I am hopeful that this remnant is going to arise in the next in this next season of the church. I don't know how long, but we'll see, man. I'm I'm with you 100%. You know, I think what 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 is being exposed primarily for me when I see it is is just the 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 lull, 
you know, the, the superficiality of the American church. And, you know, if we're completely honest, all of us, you know, you know, are, are under the influence of that slumbering spirit. You know, I was, I remember I was talking or hearing from, you know, a, a church planter in Iran, um, the underground church. Um, and they had actually, you know, they're actually from the States. They're Iranian and, but they went back to Iran. Um, but they described, they spent a couple of years back in the States and this is how, um, this person described it, uh, uh, was, you know, um, he got a normal job um, and he was working tech, you know, and, and they were still living radically for the Lord. And one day his wife comes to him and says, we have to move back to Iran. Um, and he said to the Lord, he had said to the Lord, uh, I'm, that's the one place I'll never go back because as an Iranian, his parents fled during the revolution. There's just, you know, he's blacklisted, you know, and so if, if he, he had to go back, you know, there'd be, you know, um, you know, a lot of loopholes and stuff. Um, and I'm keeping everything intentionally vague and anonymous and things like that. But uh, his wife said to him that we have to go back because there is a demonic lullaby being sung over the American church and I can no longer fight to stay awake. And so they went back to Iran leading mass church planting movements in, in Iran and the Middle East. And so they're an incredible couple, but that put into perspective for me, right? Like, because we grew up in the American church. We live in the American church. I love the American church, but there is a slumbering spirit that's been on the American church. Oh, yeah. And I think there, there's a, a rude awakening. And for those who are willing to be jostled in the times of mercy can be awake during the times of distress. And yeah. I think that's what God has prepared this remnant for. I yeah. was talking with our team today and I said, look, on one hand, guys, <laughs> this is crappy news. Um, but in another sense, we were born for this. Would Reese Howells, and he's an intercessor during World War II, I said, would Reese Howells and his Bible company, his Bible school, would they have become who they were supposed to become if Hitler had not arisen? And I'm not comparing Joe Biden to Hitler. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is the crisis. Right. The crisis elevates us, right, yeah. for those who are willing to hear the word of the Lord. And so I feel with you a great sense of faith. Um for what God wants to do. And and on the other hand, you know, there's a part of me that I was processing today. Jeremiah says, you know, oh, that, you know, my head were a fountain that I may weep tears for my people. You know, I, I have this great sense of grief for those who are unprepared yeah. because, you know, the Bible talks about a great falling away. And I feel this, a deep sense of grief who of people who, who, who did not heed the word of the Lord for persecution or any of those things. And they're unprepared in the day of trouble because that to me is the most terrifying thing yeah is in the day of destruction after the warnings have gone out in the in the and 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 trials come to be unprepared in that moment that i don't i can't imagine anything more terrifying than that and so there's no sense of vindication that i feel when i look at the church of like oh we got it you know and you were saying it's not we're the righteous from that we're calling forth the righteous from there's a sense of deep grief that i feel for the for the for the suffering and I use that word intentionally for the suffering that's to come on the body of Christ and, and, and really on, on, on America, you know, in these days. Yeah. And so I, you know, I feel that I feel these both tensions, sense of yeah. expectation, but a sense of grief. For sure. I mean, I feel the same thing. I just the you know, I, I just say this personally because I'm wrestling with all of this, just being blunt. I've been thinking about, man, if there's a civil war, you know, Hannah and I, my wife, we've, we've had these conversations, right? She knows if there's civil war. I got to go. 
<laughs> right? I got to be part of this, you know, um, not because I'm a warmonger, but because there's a purpose that I feel like I would have to be part of it if, there, if a war broke out, right? And I just say, um, I'm not looking forward to that. I have kids, right? I have kids. Um, I do not want war to break out in America. That is the most terrible, terrible thing, you know, that could happen. And I expect if we have a civil war, it's it's going to be terrible. I expect that it would be worse than the first civil war if we had another one break out here, right? So, look, this is terrible. But at the same time, yes, the pressure, the the crisis, I I feel this sense of hope in it. Right, yeah. this sense that it's through crisis that we have grace to grow in a way that we never would have had grace without that crisis, and you, we we shouldn't need the crisis, right? I'm not trying to say that uh, crisis is the only way, right. but I do think in a general way it is the only way, right? There there there's a sense in which hardship produces. Maturity. You see that's all throughout Scripture, right? James 1, Romans 5, right? The hardship, the overcoming difficulty is what produces maturity, which is why Scripture says we're to rejoice in it. Consider it joy, brothers, right? When you face hardships, trials of various kinds, right? Knowing that produces, it produces that good fruit of the Spirit, and you can't be mature except that you go through hardship. Now, Again, I want to be really clear because I'm not courting this stuff. I think there's other ways to go through hardship, right, than to have a civil war. But at the same time, I'm just talking about the redemptive purpose. I'm so hopeful that God is going to produce an overcoming American church. And David, I just want to, you know, I just want to say this. I'm so hopeful for America. I yep. really am, right? I do think, and, you know, I, I felt for years that hardship is coming, and I think even if Trump comes back in, I still think hardship is going to come, right? I think we're headed for hardship no matter what at this point. And I've felt this burden to prepare the body of Christ as best that I can to face hardship and to go through it and to overcome it. I think hardship is going to come, but I'm really hopeful that the 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 hardship comes along with glory, right? That right. the two come packaged together. And I saw that that's something that you've been talking about also. Why don't you talk a little bit about that, just the, how they come together, those two things. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I think anyone who knows us will know that there is no, and you said that multiple times already, there is no, um, wish for hardship in our hearts in the sense of, that's the thing. Persecution is easy to talk about. I hear so many Americans say, well, maybe persecution would be good for the church. And you can't say that unless you've lived it. You know, there are so many believers that I know from foreign countries who came from Eastern Europe, countries in Asia fleeing communism and the persecution there come to America because of those freedoms, you know? And so we can't, yeah. you know, I think there's, there's a, and a naivete, you know, for those people who just said, you know, uh, 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 who cares if there's persecution? You know, I think you and I have fought for religious liberties in America because it's actually good for the nation. You know, righteousness right. exalts a nation. Um, and so, but uh, with that said, I think, you know, I've, I've been in a wrestle for all of 2020, even before 2020, coming into this year and this moment, I, I've been asking the question, Lord, 
what are you doing in America? You know, because on one hand, there is a, a concept in Scripture where our prayers and our repentance can actually avert great hardship, can avert calamity, can avert uh, uh, judgment, so to speak. Um, and, and for a long time, you know, regardless of what kind of hardship was coming, that, that was, you know, part of my prayer. You know, like, God, just passed over us in your mercy. Um, but there is another sense, you know, and that's this this other sense that's been going increasingly in the last year and a half is that, you know, many times also they come together. And in fact, they're the same form of mercy, like judgment in, in any judgment before the final judgment is a form of mercy. Because if we can receive it, then it will purify us, whether individually or corporately. Um, uh, that's what I see in Scripture. But what we see in Scripture is this idea that 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 God's mercy or revival is is tied hand in hand with His judgment. You see it in Exodus. It, it was a judgment on Egypt, you know, that brought a deliverance of, of Israel. Right? Uh, uh, um, it was a judgment. Uh, uh, Josiah experiences a nationwide revival and reformation. And then immediately after, there's judgment because God says, "For the sins of Manasseh, I will not forgive." Right? And so you have you have one of the. It's, it literally says in the Bible, there has there had never been a Passover like in the days of Josiah, and never since. That is a statement. You know, since the institution of the Passover, there was no revival like it, where all of Israel turned to God with one heart. And immediately after, is the exile. You have, you know, uh, Elijah, right? And Elijah and Elisha and the school of the prophets, and they turn on Israel back to God. At the same time, Hazel comes and, and thrashes, becomes a thorn in the side of Israel, right? You see that Jesus' ministry, he prophesies that, that, that even throughout the wonders of his ministry, there's coming a judgment in Jerusalem, and we see that in AD 72, 71, when Jerusalem is sacked. One of the things Mike Bickle said that always stuck out to me, and I, I kind of was like, hoping it wouldn't be kind of thing, not in my fleshly desire to avoid persecution, but just, I know what that would mean. I know what suffering would mean. I know what a civil war would mean for our nation, for the people of the nation. Um, but one of the things that Mike Bickle said was, he, he noted that every national revival in U.S. history, um, and so there's little revivals or outpourings. The Jesus movement was not technically a national revival. It was a tremendous move of the Holy Spirit, but it wasn't a national revival that touched the fabric of the nation. Right. Right? We've, Azusa Street was an incredible outpouring. 750 million souls can be traced to Azusa Street from today, which is incredible. Right? Some would say that's the greatest outpouring of the Holy Spirit in, in human history. You know, And I'm inclined to agree just by the numbers. But even that wasn't a national revival. Um, there were two national revivals where the whole society was transformed. That was the first Great Awakening. And then the Second Great Awakening, which also led into the New York revivals. And what Mike said was, um, every national revival has been immediately uh, uh, followed by a war on U.S. soil. And so you have the First Great Awakening, and then you have the Revolution. Right. Second Great Awakening, New York revivals, and then you have the Civil War. right? And we've been contending for this Third Great Awakening, uh, 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 but there is a part, I think, in this moment, as, as 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 we look and 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 you can't take this as the word of the lord but something like bob jones who was an esteemed prophet you know um uh, a, a tested and true prophet you know uh, uh who's gone to be with the lord one of the things he said was that um and i'd say this with just utmost fear and trembling he said that one of the things he sensed from the lord was that america and even the world would never be able to fully repent or atone or or intercede or however you want to put it for the sin of abortion yeah. Like there was coming a judgment on our nation and the judgment on the nations 
yeah. for the, the shedding of innocent blood, right? And so we're, we're in this place where I, I do feel increasingly that the the mercy of revival and the great harvest of souls is going to be tied in or followed immediately by judgment. You know, one yeah. of the things Alan Hood said, you know, um, in our last contendant, he's been saying for years, everyone in America gets saved before the Civil War. It's, it was estimated one out of 13 people in America got saved before the Civil War. Yeah. And even during the Civil War, there's notes in both camps, northern and southern armies, where revival meetings are breaking out. And people would literally accept Christ only to die on the battlefield the next day. That even in judgment, God was showing extreme mercy. And I think, you know, and I'm not saying this prophetically, uh, 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 maybe, but I, I just haven't tested it yet enough. But just even just by the trends and from what I see in Scripture is that these two are going to come hand in hand in this season, I believe. Um, And that if it does turn into civil war, which uh, if you read the history of civil war, I got a lot of books on Lincoln right around here and and just the civil war. um, The conditions that are in America today are, are the only time in U.S. history that even parallel to the division that was in uh, uh, Lincoln's time uh, or in America in that time. And so we may see a civil war. And one of the things Alan Hood said was, you know, one of the things the Lord showed him was that he was literally going to be sending his sons into battle. Not like sending them as in like, you know, go and fight, but more as in tearfully, you know, realizing that they are going to be the soldiers and he has to say goodbye to them. Yeah. And we talked about this as a team. You know, we said when some people even said as a team, recently and maybe some other young people who are there at contend said when they heard that it wasn't tangible but today in this day and era and with the last with 2020 and this whole season and 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 and, and yesterday and today they they, they see it it is actually a, a great possibility you know um, and they see it with their own eyes oh yeah look i gotta think anybody who doesn't who who says it there's not gonna be civil war and people who are saying that are just warmongers or something like that you have your head in the sand at this point Okay. No matter right. how this election turns out, a third of the country is going to feel like the election's stolen from them. Okay. Right. If Trump, if, if Biden is in, look, there's a there's a third of the country that is convinced of major fraud, and they're angry. There's a real danger that you know that that can be activated, and right. if some if Trump somehow pulls this off miraculously, oh, you better believe it's going to be more furious on that left third. Right? They're going to be even more furious. And that's and that's because our nat- our media we're listening to, we we have two we live in two different media worlds now, right? Right? You, like I try and talk with people on the left, and our all our statistics and facts are like worlds apart at this point, right? right. They don't even know what I'm talking about. When I say, hey, when what about when this happened? They're like, what are you talking about? They didn't even they that wasn't even reported in their world in their media world, right? right. And this this is where we're at. It's so difficult now to have fruitful dialogue. Because right. all of our assumptions are so different, and our now our worldviews are so different, right? Like, right. so look, if you can't see where this is headed, or the the this this strong possibility of civil war at this point, man, I don't know what to tell you. You have lived a privileged life, okay? Right. But if you look, history is full of terrible tragedy, and I've been trying to tell people if you're a Christian. The Bible does not say, all right, that things are going to get better and better and better. I understand there is a branch of theology called post-millennial eschatology that sometimes people believe in limited, you know, periods of history, stuff like that. But look, I, I come on. Come on. No. It talks about tribulation increasing until the end of the age. 
right? Right. Great tribulation. It speaks of you know birth pangs. We're in the we're in birth pangs, giving birth to a new creation in Romans eight. So we um we should be prepared as a body. We should be prepared. We should be preparing for this. And to be honest, Dave, that's what I'm really praying about right now. Lord, how do I prepare for potential coming hardship? And I just want to speak a word of warning, general warning to everybody. I think the tendency, especially for us who are a little more conservative and you're on the coasts and whatnot, is like you want to get the heck out of there. You want to you want to move to freaking Oklahoma. Right, you want to go to the you want to go to Alaska or Wyoming or something, you know, you want to go to the reddest red state ever. And I would just, you know, I would just say as a warning, we all we have to follow the Lord. Yeah. All of us have to follow the Lord, right? And if He's called us to stay in California, then we have to stay in California. The safest place to be is in the will of God. And yes. personally, as you know, as a personal rule of thumb, I never move somewhere unless I feel the Lord telling me to do that. Right? Yeah. Don't pick up from your job and leave just because you're afraid out of fear. You need to hear from the Lord. It's okay to go, God, I want to move here. Please speak to me about this. I would love to do this, but I'm asking you and I'm surrendered to you. I would just say as a rule of thumb, number one, don't move anywhere out of fear, but go to the Lord and make sure that he is leading you in where you're supposed to go. Number one, are there yeah. any other things that you would suggest to people? Yeah, um, absolutely. I think, you know, one of the things that I said at the beginning of quarantine, you know, it, it was I, I, the Lord spoke to me out of Isaiah chapter four or five, I believe. And he said that he's going to come with a purifying spirit and a spirit of burning and then his glory will be a canopy over the nation. And then, But first he rebukes Israel for idolatry and other things. And I, I really felt like, you know, quarantine was a season in which we could have, you know, a time where we seek the Lord, you know, and I, I, I've said this now many times, but... I really feel like 2020, God gave every single person over to their own desires. You know, at that point, there was no excuse. I'm speaking to myself to to seek God or not. I have all the time in the world. We all have all the time in the world. We're at a global reset, you know, and you know, I think what you sow, you reap, you know, and I'm not saying it's too late. I think, you know, today, you know, repent, right, and 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 and, and obey, right, in, in faith and with the grace of God. And um, my, I think... It is going to be increasingly important. I think there's a couple things, right? I think yeah. obviously biblical fidelity um, is is going to be huge. You know, where are you getting a worldview? Um, uh, I think life of prayer is critical um, to be engaging with the Lord's heart on an intimate, personal level, but also contending. You know, yeah. you fight the Lord's battle in the secret place. You know, um, Oswald Chambers. I mean, we know this as prayer people, but you know, Oswald Chambers says, prayer is not preparation for the battle. Prayer is the battle, you know, and I think, you know, there's a critical element in which we need to regain that place of prayer, you know, yeah. uh, uh, in our lives. But the third, I think community is going to be critical. I think, yeah. you know, I, I don't think we're going to last without community. To the Church of Philadelphia, you know, Jesus is writing to the Church of Philadelphia, and which is the city of brotherly love, and it says, though you are weak, you have resisted satan therefore i will make all the those false worshipers and all the worshipers of satan come and bow down at your feet and i shall make you a pillar in the house of my god and i shall give you a new name and upon you i shall write the name of my god i mean incredible promises for a weak group of people who are powerless jesus literally describes them as powerless yeah uh, uh, but he says i will make those of the synagogue of satan come down and bow at your feet which is an incredible reversal but it was the city of brotherly love, right? And I think community is going to be critical in these days to come. A godly community, godly fellowship, right? Um, that's one of the things that mark me the most about the persecuted church 
is their willingness to die for each other. I, I just shared this morning with our team of of, a, of an incident in, in the early church. It's written in the early church fathers where these Christians are being killed and executed because they refuse to surrender the names of other Christians. And, and the story goes, the executioner literally says, looks up to the heavens weeping and says, oh, look how they love one another. Oh, see how they love one another. Gives his life to Christ, gets executed himself. We don't have that. We The church, and I'm, I'm just going to go into this for a second, but the church is the most, I don't want to be too harsh, yeah. but the church is, is killing itself right now. Yeah. The church loves pointing out other Christians. Like you mentioned, Mario Morello being criticized more by the church than even by the state. And there's this sense in which, you know, the people within the church, Christians, quote unquote, believers, they, they're valuing acceptance by society and relevance and popularity and how much they're liked and, you know, and, and, and they're willing to go and backstab other Christians. The Bible doesn't say that we'll, the world will know that we are his disciples because of our love for the world. It says that we, they will know our love. They will know that we are his disciples by our love for one another. If anything, the church needs to stand together. The true church needs to band together at this time like never before, unwilling to betray one another, even unto death. And I think, you know, the biblical thing, the, the, the prayer piece that we've talked about so many times, that you've talked about so many times, but I think there's an element of fellowship, of godly fellowship that has to be recovered. The age of church politics is over. The age of being friends so that, you know, we can have each other at our conferences, it's over. It's all about coming together because we are willing to go all the way for the Lord. And and I think these are critical pieces, you know, uh, for those who are listening to this podcast to really do some examination. Yeah. You know, do you have these things uh, in your life? Because I, I truly believe it is the only things that's going to sustain us, you know, in the trials to come. You know, yeah. I mean, you talked about you going to war and you having kids, you know, my wife and I are planning to have kids. And I'm thinking, you know, if, if, if all of the men died, it's going to be our community that's going to support one another, right? And our, our, you know, and I'm not saying that we're going to die, but but what I'm saying is is part of I think what was going to keep us is is that and that might have been such a radical statement, but to anyone, any Christian that's living in any part of the world that's persecuted, there are more persecuted Christians today than in any point in human history, yeah. which is an incredible statistic. Yeah. To them, it's it's a reality. This is not an exaggeration, you know, and and we have to understand that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just to you know, I, I want to drill down a little bit on what you're talking about because look, the reality is most Christians that I know are on here are really struggling because yeah. there's no in-person services hardly. Yeah. Right. Not to say that in-person services are everything, but look, there's a difference. There is a difference. Hundred percent. Like, worship online is is it sucks. <laughs> okay, like it's not the same. All right, it's not the same as a powerful corporate worship service. It's not the same. Okay, yeah. you can't, you cannot tell me, you know, that it does the job just as well. No, it does not. It certainly does not. And lots of people are are really struggling right now. And look, just to be blunt, like it's it's. I feel the same way. I got one of the things that has been so sad for me is I have no prayer room to go to. Right. I've got my my we're in my kids' bedroom right now, okay? Like and my kid they're my my kids are all over here, right? So I need a prayer room where I can just, you know, focus on on the Lord. And it's yeah. hard to come by these days. And I understand people are 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 dying right now. So I want us to just talk about this for a second. How do we help all these believers? They're struggling right now because like you said, I agree. I think look, 
there's been a ma- a, a, a massive shutdown of society. And the, f- the first sense that I had is this is a gift from the Lord. This is a reprieve from the Lord. He's giving us the opportunity to spend time with him and with our kids, right? With our families specifically, right? Everybody's being forced to spend time with their families, right? And um, it- it's a gift, right? And I, there's just something to me that feels like precious about it because uh, we might be separated in the next season. It's possible. I don't know, right? I don't know what's coming. But I have to, I've just been trying to give thanks like crazy to be able to spend this time with my family. And I am thankful for that. But I want to just speak a word of encouragement, help, or practical wisdom to people. Because look, I also know, like, I'm playing video games. I haven't played video games in like seven, eight years, right? I'm like playing, you know, with my friends from like high school and stuff like that. We're playing video games, you know. And I've been like uh, occasionally fasting because I'm like, okay, I need to get in in the Word and I need to really spend time with the Lord. But I understand for a lot of people, a lot of people are they're struggling spiritually, they're dying. What what practically can they do to take this season that God's giving us and to and to use it wisely? Yeah, that's a, that's a great thought. You know, I think you know the reality is, no matter how strong you think you are, how long you've walked with God, um, you know, uh, it, it, it self discipline is hard. Um, yeah. And you know, there was there was a season. I'll just be frank. The first three months of quarantine, you know, I devoured the Bible. I devoured commentaries. I devoured books about the Bible, about history. I think I read 40,000 pages, you know, in that season. And I was, yeah. I mean, it was awesome because I'm an introvert. I love this stuff. And then afterwards, yeah. I was like, there was a part of me, I was like, man, I went so hard. I'm burnt out. I'm like, you know, maybe it's okay to watch a TV show with my wife, you know. And so we're watching, you know, like a show a week, you know, the Great yeah. British Bake Off, you know. Um, it, it, there's temptation, you know, obviously in every direction. I'm not saying, you know, reprieve and, you know, little things like that are sin. You know, I, I think, you know, it's always, you know, Paul saying, you know, is it permissible? It, it is permiss- permissible, but not beneficial. And I think, you know, we have to choose the higher good. It's hard without in-person, you know, because in-person, no matter how great the online service is, it's still an individual experience. There's not sure. that corporate sense of being caught up. And, you know, I think accountability is critical in this time, you know, yeah. on one hand, I think just, you know, one of the things that we, my wife and I, did and also did with our team here with contend is we set goals you know we're like we're gonna read this book and we're gonna do it you know we're gonna read we're gonna be on this bible plan and we're gonna do it you know and kept each other accountable but i I do want to say this and i this may be extremely controversial and i understand that there are precautions you know for people who still live with their parents and are concerned about that kind of stuff um i i kind of want to say it's time to meet in person (laughs) you know and i'm not saying that in a in a way that's, you know, you meet in person, wear a mask, stay six feet away. I don't care. Like there's something irreplaceable by in human contact. Yeah. If I, if he, let me just stretch this for a second. And, and to people who say, no, you can get the same amount. Trust me. If I just zoomed my wife and FaceTime my wife every day and was not in physical proximity with her, it would change our marriage. You know, it's not easy or someone with their kids, you know, and, and how, why do we think that that wouldn't affect our relationships in as, as a spiritual family? And so, you know, um, if you want to take precautions, that's great, you know, but I think I, I do think we can't forsake the meeting of the brethren. And I think at this point, the isolation 
the emotional harm that's happening. The the actually the rates of drug addiction have skyrocketed. The rates of depression have skyrocketed. Uh, 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 all this stuff, spiritual engagement is an all time low. These are all because we haven't been in proximity. And and is that is that worth the cost, right? And and I'm speaking, you know, uh, with with a clear view of wisdom. Some are living with their parents. I understand that. Some are living with high risk people. And so these are all considerations and factors, you know, to consider. But at the same time. There's a real spiritual, emotional death that's happening all across America that, that people aren't touching. This this quarantine is going to affect this generation in, yeah. in ways that they can't experience. And you live in California. I live in Colorado. We had about four weeks of lockdown. That was it. You guys have been in lockdown for nine months. I can't imagine not seeing my friends in the flesh for nine months. That is that is that is incomprehensible to me and what oh, that yeah. would do to, to the psyche. You know? church, churches are dying. A lot of churches yeah. are dying. I know a number of churches that just gave up on their EM departments. You know, they didn't have uh, their English ministries, right? They didn't have money to pay EM pastors. They're just like, you know, our, our money is, is dwindling. And I know youth groups that have gone from like, you know, 50 people to like five people showing up on their online services. You know, like this is this has happened to lots of people. And, right. and look, I, I think you're right, man. And I, I just want to say this. I've been doing Wednesday night prayer meetings, right? I also do another weekly meeting, um, and those have been so life-giving for me personally, right? Yeah. Just having a couple small meetings where I'm seriously engaging with God, right? That is is so life-giving, right? I'm not saying it replaces your quiet your devotional life. You need to have your devotional life also, but right. those things really help. It, it right. helps a lot. And I would just encourage everybody— Look, if your church can't provide something, you have to take responsibility for your own spiritual life. Yeah. Take responsibility. Like you don't need your pastor's permission to start a prayer meeting in my opinion. That's right. You don't need his permission to start a Bible study or just some type of godly fellowship where you're meeting together. And look, you can do this with like five people just get four or five people that you know are serious about their walk with the Lord, or as serious as you are, right? And say, hey, we're going to meet together, and we're going to seek the Lord together, and we're not going to be hanging out with other people. So, you know, if we all stay relatively safe COVID-wise, right, we should be relatively safe, right? And yeah, you are taking a risk, but look, it's a minor risk, and it's worth it. It's worth it for your spiritual life, right? right. If I just say this, look, if you're, if you're thriving in God, and you're doing, like, so well— then you're good, man. Don't worry about it. You don't have to meet, right? But I would say, people, like, if you're struggling spiritually, I want to lovingly encourage you, put something together yeah. where you can get in the presence of God with fellow believers, seriously pray, seriously study Scripture, really share what's going on in your life and pray for one another. That's essential to the body of Christ, and it's very difficult to get in a meaningful way just through online mediums. Yeah. I 100% agree, and, you know, um, yeah, I, I know there's so much conversation around this. I mean, the Sean Foyt controversies, you know, continuously, all that kind of stuff. Dude, Sean Foyt is killing it, okay? Yeah. Sean Foyt, in my opinion, is one of the heroes of the hour. Dude is killing it. And I think, you know, if, if others had stepped out like Sean, they would have found that kind of momentum because the hunger yeah. is there yeah. the desperation is there i was just talking to with my friends with saturate we're part of saturate oc 
and they're doing these revival gatherings in tents outside and you know people can social want to social distance they can social distance but in oc can, where i yeah. am well they're, they're traveling that. around california i don't oh. know yeah uh, but they started in the oc man and and um I don't know if you know Sean Foyt's gathering at, at in San Diego. That was that first one to really blow up. Yeah, yeah. That was a partnership with these guys with Saturate OC, yeah. with Saturate, right? And so there's hunger. You know, yeah. I think, I think you know, right now, you know, not just COVID, but in so many ways, like the body of Christ is looking for real leadership. Yes. Not not the kind of leadership that complies or just pulls the right words together to present the palatable message. And I'm not saying they're not genuine. Uh, I'm not saying that people don't mean it with all of their hearts, you know, when they say certain things, but people are looking for direction. You know, people yes. are looking for a clear voice at the hour. I'll never forget reading that book by, uh, I forget what it was by, uh, but it was by, John, it was about John the Baptist. And, 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 it's, it's, and he was so visceral in his language, people in the desert caravans, but all of them stopping because they hear a voice like they've never heard before. Right. And, and that it moves me because that's what God wants to raise up at this hour are people who have vision, who have articulation. Uh, you know, Lou always quotes, you know, Arthur Schlesinger Jr. He says, great leaders are those who give articulation to that which is already being groaned in the masses. Yeah. Right? There is hunger. There's desperation. Uh, but there, there has to be a, a willingness to cross the threshold of the unpopular, of, of fear, yes. of criticism. Um, but but it's there. And, and, yeah. and people need God right now. I mean, if there's any Come time on. that people would be receptive to the Holy Spirit... It's now in their brokenness, dude. Look, right when right when COVID hit, I felt I felt that word and that burden. I told some of my friends, I was like, guys, I think I think you should start a weekly outdoor weeknight worship service. Yeah. Just get lit, bring the presence of God. I feel like people are gonna come, right? The hungry ones are gonna come. They're hungry for the Lord. Yeah. I still feel like there's there's room for this, right? I, I just want to put that out to any leaders who are listening to this and have access to equipment or something like that. I, let me say this. If you can put out an anointed worship set, people will come. If you right. can do a regular, if you have the facilities and you know the equipment and you can do some little lights on a tent and then you can get an anointed worship team out there and some like you know serious hungry prayer people and you can do a short message. You don't have to do a message even. Honestly, people will come because people are hungering for this. You know, and, and, and I just want to say this. In California, dude, our weather is awesome. Yeah. It's so great being outside. The only thing you got to face is the persecution of the haters, right? Right. right? But look, just whatever. You're outdoors. The chances of spreading COVID in an outdoor worship where everybody can, can distance are relatively low, right? I, I just want to encourage anybody that has the faith to jump into that, to do it. And if you have the faith to host, you know, smaller gatherings in your home or apartment, I feel like God's putting that burden on some people's hearts to do that, like a small group or something like that. I want to encourage you to also do that. But some of you guys who are leaders and have access to, you know, more of your pastors, something like that, I want to encourage you. I still feel like there is a potential anointing for that. Right. And I just want to say this too, you know, what what we're seeing in the hearts of the people, I mean, in one sense, there's a hardening of the heart, you know, that's happening. But in another sense, I think there's hunger, you know, and yeah. you look at, you know, uh, these, the, 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 the protests of summer 2020, you know, you look at the black lives matter marches, you're, you're talking about a million people, yeah. but the actual day, you know, I think they said there was more people demonstrating that day than ever before in us history, right? These are public gatherings, right? It, it goes to show that there are, that, that people need a cause, 
Like that that's that's really what it is. It's is we've been shoveling a a a, a church centric, you know, empire, church empire centric message for so long that church shuts down and people have no cause. Yeah. Right? Because we didn't give them a kingdom vision, you know, right. and that's what you know you're all about in so many ways. And so they can just swing to a cause like this because I think innately in the human heart, we can't live without purpose, you know. Yeah. And so even if it's you know a purpose that's has you know rooted in, in flawed ideology, false ideology, people will swing to that and gravitate towards that because they need that. And I, I want to say even to leaders, you know, um, I think what Sean is doing, you know, and, and there's there's controversy and criticism and methodology and all that stuff that's going on and swirling around. But what it goes to show is that there are believers and even non-believers who are hungry for this and, and yeah. they need that purpose, you know, yeah. and, Come on. and I do feel like if, if we don't, you know, uh, 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 um, if we don't seize the divine moment, so to speak, the opportunity, you know, um, that's ahead of us, I think we can miss a great Jesus movement. I think yeah. we can miss, you know, a mass outpouring of the Holy Spirit, right? Um, yeah. That's what some of my friends in summer 2020 were saying. They went into the riots to preach the gospel. And they said people actually got saved at the riots. Miracles were actually beginning to break out as they preached Jesus in the middle of the protest, in the middle of the riots. That goes to show something, right? And yeah. so I think, uh, 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 you know, it's ripe. It really, really is ripe, but it, it you know, it, it's yeah. so heavily censored and slandered right now that I know that there's a lot of fear, you know? Yeah. Um, Dude, I just, but, I sense a yeah. prophetic anointing on this. I just want to put this out there. If there are any leaders down here in OC, any pastors or leaders that are seriously interested in this, I want you to contact me and mm -hmm. let's try and put something together down here. Like, as long as I'm down here, let's try and do something. You know, I just feel like we have to do this. I remember I went to a Sean Foyt gathering. Um, and when I was there, I just remember that song, that, that old Delirious song kept coming to me, right? Open up the doors, let the music play, let the streets resound with singing, mm. right? And it seemed, it seemed like that song was prophesying about these times. Yeah. And it just feels like there's this open door in the spirit to bring the church outdoors. And I, I feel like there can be an even greater anointing to be poured out. I, I just feel like Sean Foyt is just pioneering a model that... It, it's the Holy Spirit wanting it to catch on in mass in some ways. I, I don't know to what degree, but I just feel like there's wind on this, man. Right. And I, and I also want to say this. I, I posted this you know, publicly on Facebook. Um, but there is, I think, a subtle lie and a shame. Well, actually, it's not subtle. It's, it's actually very loud. Um, but a subtle shame that can creep into, you know, leaders' hearts, you know, of, of irresponsibility and things like that. And, you know, why, you know, this criticism of the recent Sean Foyt thing, you know, why would you go into an impoverished neighborhood? You know, this is white supremacy, colonialism, all this kind of stuff. I read that, you know, from a leader, you know, in, in the area. And, and that grieved me. And I just want to say this just in a succinct fashion is I, I wrote, you know, something about missions and Marxism. But this whole thing it, it, it goes back to what what you know obviously we want to be sensitive to people's needs obviously there's a there's a pandemic going on all these different things but i think about john allen chow and, he, and for those of you guys who may not know who are watching or listening to this he was a he was a young a man um who went to the sentinel islands um and he was martyred and and before he and, and the reason it kind of went viral was because he he wrote a couple of letters you know right before he died and those letters got released and talking about there's no regret you know i'll give my life to share the gospel with these who have never heard the gospel and the avalanche of criticism that came against him saying this is white supremacy this is colonialism and then which is very eerily, and what, I mean, it's not a direct parallel, and I want to be careful in how I phrase this, but they said, what if he brought a disease 
that he was immunized to as a as a Westerner or as an American that these people as Sentinel Islands were not immunized to, and what if all of these people died, right? Where's the thought in that? And and I think there is a danger. Now I think we should be sensitive. I think we should be caring. I think we should be sympathetic. You know all this stuff, careful. But there is a subtle you know lie in that, and the deception is this: is that our temporal lives are more important than eternal destiny. Right. Yes. Like I understand non-Christians having this mentality, but if we're Christian, don't we already believe they have a terminal disease? Right. Mm -hmm. They have a terminal disease and their only hope is that some Christian would have the courage and the passion to give them the only medicine that can save their lives for eternity. Yes. I look, I don't want to say that every Christian leader who is talking about this is an idiot, but I will say that that mentality is idiocy. Okay? Right. Like, how can we discourage mission for a, such a worldly rationale? Right. My God. I'm like, if you're doing a better job reaching those people, you can criticize him. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Little man, no, right I, there. I, I'm with you on, and this is what I'm saying. On this logic, we can never share the gospel, and that's that is why missions and Marxism, or 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 or, and and this subtle class thing that's coming in, you know, and what's being said, is so dangerous. Is on that notion, you know, we can never share the gospel. On that notion, there there is no way, you know, boundary wise or whatever, that we can go in. It's just going to be leave them alone. We don't want to hurt these people, but if they died tomorrow, whether it was from a disease that John Allen Chow brought or, you know, something happened and they died, they would die without Christ, right? And, 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 and it's better in one sense, and we have to realize this, and I'm not trying to be insensitive, I'm not trying to be unsympathetic because I know COVID has taken the lives of many loved ones and things like that, but there is an, there, the Christian worldview takes into account eternity. The yeah, Christian yeah. worldview, literally Paul would say, uh, uh, he would say, if we had hoped in this life only, we of all men are most to be pitied, right? And and, and Richard Baxter said, what's the secret to your preaching? I, I preach as a dying man to dying men, right? There is a ticking time clock that that all of us will stand before the Lord in eternity. And and, and we, we need to we need to preach the gospel, you know? And, and so... You know, I, I know there's factors to this. I know there's a bunch of things to this. But if our fundamental worldview is is not rooted in biblical priorities, we will increasingly deprioritize the gospel. And that's what happened in the, with the social gospel at the end of the student volunteer missions movement, which killed it. It was all about mercy. It was all about love. It was all about mercy missions. It no longer became about the gospel. And that killed the fuel and zeal of the student volunteer missions movement without the impetus of eternity and the impetus of kingdom values. And so right, this right. to me, you know, that, that has subtly crept in during coronavirus. My concern is even post-coronavirus, this mentality is going to stay with the church. Yeah. We yeah, we're all going to be the freaking YMCA. Right. Right? Yeah. Modern day YMCA versus the YMCA that started the student volunteer missions movement with D.L. Moody. That's what it's going to become. Yeah, you know? we're all going to be Black Lives Matter 
you know, social activists helping the poor and oppressed peoples of the world while we literally ignore the most oppressed people in our nation, unborn babies, and we literally ignore all the all the lost people in the world that need the gospel desperately. Right. We're on the same page, man. We're on the yeah. same page. Come on. Yeah. Come on, church. Let's do this. Amen. Let's do this. Come on. We're we're in the period before we're preparing for awakening. Yeah. We're preparing for awakening. And there's such an opportunity. I just want to encourage everybody out there. If you're struggling right now, I I understand it is difficult. It is not easy. But the times are only getting harder, okay? It's going to get harder, but there's going to be greater grace coming upon us. This is the time to seize our destiny, to seize what God has for us in this season. Don't get jaded. Don't get bitter. Don't lose hope. Don't lose faith. And I just want to say that a lot of leaders are getting bitter, okay? Do not get bitter, all right? Mute all those people on your Facebook wall. Ban them if you need to, whatever. But don't get bitter at them. Forgive them. And move on. Um, don't don't let don't let any of this kill you, kill your spiritual life, kill your walk with the Lord. We are, I think, we're right on you know the edge of such a breakthrough. That's this is my hope, obviously, yeah. for the church. Um, I just want to encourage people because I know people are struggling. I look, we were in a prayer meeting last night. I saw multitude in the valley of decision. Right, I just feel like this is happening right now. There's so many believers in the valley of decision. And they are wondering whether to give up on Jesus or to accept the social Jesus, right? Or to, you know, continue on the evangelical path. I think what we're going to be seeing in the next couple of years, I think there's going to be a huge movement um, to leave the evangelical church. And to be honest, I'm not sure if it's going to come from the conservatives or the woke crowd, right? Yeah. I think it'll probably be the woke crowd. Um, I think that they're going to be like, you know, we don't, we don't accept this label evangelical. That's not really who we are. I already know a lot of believers that are in that place now, right? Yeah. Um, but it could easily be, you know, the, the conservatives also who are like, you know, evangelicalism has been taken over by a worldview that is not the biblical worldview, and we need a new name and a new set of prior, uh, distinctions about who we are. Look, right. this is happening. The church is splitting right now. It is splitting over this stuff. Right. And, and just even for those of who might not be familiar, this is not the first time this has happened. You know, one of the, the stories that has, that I come back to time and time again, early 1900s liberalism begins to infect the church and this is you know when higher criticism comes in you know this is when uh, uh the evolutionary theory i mean this is when all these scientific and po you know modern kind of discoveries and theories and philosophies are coming in they begin to swamp the church and so instead of the church taking a stand what the church ends up doing in the late 1800s and i don't know how much time we have left but i'll just share this quickly it's good no go is, is is they begin to then compromise on the issues that matter right and so you see it starts really with the german church german liberalism you see them say you know what we actually don't have to accept the miracles we don't have to accept the virgin birth we don't have to accept the fact that the bible may or may not be the word of god what is important are the commands of jesus what's important is living a moral life what's important you know uh is these kinds of things you know and and so that's what liberalism it came out of germany because it's sweep through europe and even come into america uh and and and, and there's this ideological confrontation that happens in america and and jay gresham macon uh one of my favorite bible teachers um who founded a uh, uh, um uh, Westminster Seminary. For those of you guys who know who, uh, what that might be, um, he wrote a book called Christianity, Christianity and Liberalism, in which he addresses some of these things, and it's so eerily word for word similar. He said, literally, the the germ, uh, the liberal church, willingly confesses that God is love. 
That is their mantra, is what he says. He says that's that's what they begin with, and that's that's where it all springs from. They go, they they willingly and freely accept that God is love, but they deny all the other you know things, uh, uh, truths of Scripture, and, and what you know Machen and other people have observed is that even though churches do that initially to play to the crowd, right? Uh, whether it's the woke crowd, you know this day and age or, or, or whatever else, you know, um, the, the new age crowd, um, cause there's a, there's this new age kind of thing creeping into the church as well. Uh, and it's terrifying to me that people no longer call God father. Uh, they just call him the creator or the divine cause they don't want God to be masculine, you know, um, et cetera. Right. Um, he says people end up, those churches will end up dying because people realize that the world doesn't want a religious version of itself, you know, um, that's all it is. You know, why go to church if there is nothing of a supernatural quality, right? And so, you know, this this thing about fighting liberalism is not a new thing. This has happened time and time again in history. That's why some of our great fathers and mothers in the church have always fought for their, their generation and the next generation to, to receive the truth of God. And I think it's incumbent Absolutely. on this generation to take a firm stand in truth, even if it's unpopular, right? Even if it's considered backwards. And I love what, you know, Billy Graham, you know, I love this story and I'll just share this story and then uh, I can, I can, you know, be done. But uh, I love this story about Billy Graham. One of his best friends comes to him, you know, and says, Billy, we can't believe that book. And, and this is a famous story. Billy goes to, to the, in the middle of the night, goes to the rock and he says, God, I will, I will believe I commit today that I believe this is your word and I will preach it. And then bam, LA Crusades happened. The rest is history. The most prolific evangelist in, in, in the history of the world. Um, and, and, and someone accused him during the LA Tent Crusades. You're setting Christianity back 50 years, right? And Billy Graham's famous response was, I don't intend to set Christianity back 50 or, 50 or 200, something like that. 50 or 200 years. I intend to set Christianity back 2,000 years when the apostles were turning Rome upside down. And that, that I mean, that kind of stuff, you know, God raises up these men and women who he backs them up if they stay faithful to his word. And I believe that the greatest signs and wonders, the greatest miracles, the greatest healings, the greatest revival, outpourings of the Holy Spirit, deliverances uh, are going to take place in this generation. And God is going to back up the people who are faithful to him, you know? And so this isn't the first time we've encountered this fight, but every time we encounter that fight, God always backs them up. And it doesn't, you know, people are always asking, what side of history do you want to be on? Do you want to be on the side of history that, that, you know, was anti-LGBT and, and, you know, anti, you know, anti-anti-racist, I guess. I don't know what the term is. Do you want to be on that side of history? And that's not the question. It's, 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 are you on God's side or not? That's what the captain of the Lord of hosts asks him, right? He says, are you on, are you on the Lord's side or not, right? Um, and I think God is waiting for people to back them up. First Chronicles 16, 19, we all know that verse. You know, the Lord, the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the entire earth to, to strongly support the one whose heart is wholehearted for him, yeah. right? And I, I'm, I've been praying that God will raise up a generation that desires the strong support of God. Yeah, That's better than popularity. You know, it's Come better on. than, you know, controversy, you know, the power of God. And we were going back and we were talking about remnant and our faithful revival. I truly believe in this next revival, God is going to so disrupt the structures and the wineskins and presuppositions. I actually, my hope and faith is God goes to the most uncool, untrendy people. And they lead the greatest revival in human history. The That's what I believe. Biggest Christian. I mean, bypasses even all of us. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm serious, right? Yeah, like, yeah. 
the, 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 the age of the, of the sexy, yeah. trendy church oh, yeah. is, is over. There is nothing sexy about biblical values, no matter how you dress yeah. or how yeah. you preach. Yeah. The power is going to go to those who, who are low. And I, my hope and faith, it's, we're going to like one day be like, that guy? That girl? Yeah, come on. Just let 20,000 people to Jesus? They don't have Air Force Ones or Converses or whatever kids wear these days. Or, you know, they, they're just so uncool and, and God just, God uses them. And that, that's my prayer. Because I, I feel like, you know, if there's one thing that God is humbling the church for in America is the love of influence and the love of popularity. Yeah. You know, and that's the great test. You know, are we going to stay faithful to him? So I know, I know you and I can both go on and on about this and I get really riled up. But um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I really feel, you know, strongly, you know, yeah. um, this this thing about this fight against liberalism and and, and false worldviews, um, it's not the first time the church has fought this. It's not the first time the church has been on the wrong side of history. Right. But you know, wisdom is proved by her children. Right. You know, wisdom is proved by her children. We I don't even remember the critics of Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards, they said of Jonathan Edwards, all of his critics said, in a hundred years, no one will ever remember your name. And I don't know any of their names, literally. <laughs> yeah. We know Jonathan Edwards, you know, et cetera, yeah. right? You know, the, the, they, they were they were reviled in their day, you know, yes. but God used them. And so Absolutely. that's just a word of encouragement, especially as we're looking, you know, as we had just talked about this whole outdoor yeah. gathering thing. Yeah. You know, it's not the critics that count. And the, oh, you know, yeah. it's not. I mean, look, th- this is the test for the hour, bro. This is the test. Because if you want authority in the kingdom, you have to demonstrate that you fear God more than you fear man. Yes. That's consistent, right? In the New Testament, he right. always makes this people f- show that they fear him more. Because yes. if we don't, then we then we abuse the power and the influence that he gives to us. Yes. We 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 we, we can't resist those temptations, right? Yeah. So God prepares the vessels that he wants to entrust with authority and he's got to drain them of their selfish ambition cuz all of us naturally struggle with that. Okay? All of us naturally struggle with this. We want to glorify ourselves and we want to be rich and famous. Okay, everyone struggles with that because we're creating the image of God and we naturally desire those things. This is a, a conviction that God's been building my heart over the past like 10 years or something like that, right? I would always try and kill my ambition, right? I'm going to crucify my ambition. I'm going to crucify my desire for wealth. I'm going to crucify all those things. And the things, that's that's a, that's a very good first step, right? That's good. But the, the truth is this, we've been hardwired with the longing for those things because right. our spirits crave the heavenly, eternal version of those things. We crave eternal glory. We crave eternal wealth. We crave eternal fame. And when we set our hearts on, like what God has been doing over the past 10 years of my life is to give me a more robust vision of the eternal lasting, the true versions of all of those things. Yes. And that's the thing that enables me, like, I freaking, I don't give a crap, okay, about being rich on in this life, okay? Mm-hmm. I don't give a crap if I get famous or lead a mega church, okay? It's not because I wouldn't be tempted for those things under certain circumstances. It's just, I know I, uh, there's something so much better than those things. Yes. Right? To be great in eternity, to be, yes. to be famous in eternity, that's a real thing. Right yep. to be entrusted with real heavenly authority, yep. and 
If it, and the only way to be entrusted with those things is to suffer persecution, is to be rejected in this age, right? To deal with cancel culture and to deal with all of that garbage. Fine, bring it on. If God will give me the grace and the faith, right, to be able to stand firm in the midst of that type of minor hardship, I just pray that I can handle real hardship, right? I pray that God will give me the grace to handle real hardship. And I just say that, brother, this is the test. I just want to speak this to everyone out there. Right, because look, this is right. the test for everyone. Once you start getting some anointing on your life, right, and people start inviting you to their conferences and and whatnot, naturally everyone starts to struggle with that, right? And you, when you get in the work world and people are getting promotions and going on nice vacations, everyone starts to struggle with, yeah, right. that would be cool if I could do that too. I get that, that's real, but the test in this because it's everyone is getting ready to have something cost, have it cost them, right? Your yeah. Christianity is going to cost you now, right? It's going to cost you, right? If you, you know. It, people would say, like, look, persecution is here. All you have to do is say homosexuality is a sin publicly, all right? And you will get persecuted. And there's lots of things like that now. They're springing up more and more. And all of us now are coming into this place where we know that we could do things or say things that would get us persecuted. And I want to lovingly say to the body of Christ, this is the test for the hour. Will we show that we fear God and we trust Him for his vindication and his rewards more than we esteem all of these temporary things. And I just want to encourage people, this is the time. Let's let's face it together. Let's let's face the cancel culture. Let's face, you know, the 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 mean faces, you know, the little mocking face on Facebook. I get that thing almost on every post I do now, right? Little mocking face, you know, the laughing face. Like come on, let's like let's face this minor persecution this time. I just feel, I just want to encourage some of you guys who are young leaders in the body. This is the time, right? Where there's opportunity for real promotion. Okay. All of those garbage charismatic words in the past, it's your season of promotion. No, this is the season of promotion. All right. This is the season of promotion. If you can be obedient to what God has called you to do, even though it might cost you something in the short term. Yeah. hundred percent. I'm with you. And I don't know how, long that these episodes are i'll just share one last thing with what you said i think there is with the persecution and suffering that's coming you know i think you know people we've lived in the most prosperous age in the history of mankind yeah. especially living in america you know and i don't say this to be insensitive I, I say this as a matter of fact we no matter what class race religion you are in america you are the most privileged people have ever walked the face of the earth in terms of wealth freedoms all that stuff does that not mean that there are certain experiences yada 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 yes and you know i, I always try to hear and listen and be sympathetic but that's just a matter of fact you know yes. we're about to enter into in, insane hardship you know at a at a national and global level I, that's what i believe and what we've been feeding young people and young leaders in the body of christ is destiny words purpose words and so everyone and i meet this all the time i meet so many people who are like man, I, I just feel like disappointed in God and jaded because he spoke this word to me or someone prophesied over me and it hasn't happened yet. You know, they're like 22, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm talking with Lou Engle and he's 68, 60, 68. And he goes, David, I still haven't seen the promises of God over my life. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm in for the long haul, you know? Um, and, and, and also for, you know, I, I think, you he know, learning from those like Lou, I've just realized that I, I've just become okay with not seeing the fruit of my labor of prayers in my lifetime because my prayers have now exceeded my lifetime, you know, like, 
I, I want I want to see spiritual impact way yes. beyond my little life, you know, and, and I want to just say to those young leaders who you might have all these words, you might have all these plans for your life. I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to be X, Y and Z. And if we go into crisis, we go into crisis. You know, it affects us all. You know, it's, it's not like just because you, you, no one's special in, in crisis. You know, yeah. people are. People who love God are, are, are protected, you know, that's, that's, that's that, you know, they have favor and position, but you know, our lives are going to look radically different. Yeah. You know, we're not, you know, we're, we've lived in the golden age and, 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 you know, made, I believe that, that the rug will get pulled out from under our feet in one sense. And so what I want to say to that is this, to what you were saying, Dennis, in terms of an eternal perspective of destiny. I remember one time I had an encounter with the Lord, you know, a very trying transitional season of my life. And you know, I was just doubting everything, calling, you know, purpose, destiny. And I was just like, God, like, this is nothing like I thought it would go. And, and, and the Lord spoke to me, and I'll never forget this. He says, David, would you rather lead stadiums in your lifetime, or would you lead, want to lead them in heaven? And I'm not saying it's an either or, but what I am saying is that we, in this lifetime, we are shadows of what we will become. That's right. Age to come. We are shadows. All of our callings are shadows of what we're going to become. And I thought about that. I thought about how cool it would be to lead a solemn assembly in heaven. You know, once every 15,000 years, you know, we'll all rotate and maybe I'll get a slot if I'm lucky, you know, and, and, you know, but, and I can imagine leading a solemn assembly with John and Edwards there, John Wesley, you know, all these Mish Hudson Taylor. And I've been part of, you know, leading large solemn assemblies. And, 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 and in one sense, I mean, just being w under the leadership of the Lord in those moments, I, I just can't trade them for anything, just yeah. seeing God move. But imagine what that would be in that lifetime and yes. me being frustrated and sad about not seeing it in this lifetime. It's not even a trade-off. Yes. You know, and, and do I do I have faith that we'll see it in our in my lifetime, whether I'm a part of it or not? I have faith for stadium Christianity. That's not my point. My point is saying, you know, if we're so set on all of our dreams being fulfilled in this age, especially with the crisis that's about to come, we will be very disappointed. Yes. We have to be those who are living for eternity and understanding that, that there are just going to be people who are, you know, I don't know how heaven's going to be set up. If there's, you know, there's only one apostle in heaven, his name is Jesus, you know, um, I don't know how it's going to be set up, but I think there's going to be degrees of leadership in heaven. I think the Bible speaks of these people. There are over 10 cities, you know, and, Maybe that guy in your organization or church who no one gave a rip about is yes. is, is now leading you like yes. forever. You know, uh, yes. This lifetime is 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 a blink, and you know our our ambition and our desires. You know, obviously we want to have want to see breakthrough in this age. You know, uh, uh, Dennis and I both we are not kind of people who just say, "Oh, forget about this age; it's all about heaven." We're for the furthest people from that. But you know, our heart and our hopes have to be set. You know, in a place where, you know, what if you don't get to do your destiny? That doesn't mean the calling of God was revocable on your life. You know, like what if there were all these words that you're supposed to be this worship leader that's supposed to change, you know, the culture of music and worship in your generation. And then we go into crisis, there's, and worship music is banned and, and you live the end, by the end of your life. And when you die, no one knows who you are. No one knows a single song that you wrote. And then you get to heaven and then they're singing your song. Like everybody who's ever been redeemed is singing that song that you wrote that no one knew about, but, but God forever. That that's, that's an easy trade-off in that perspective. And we need to have that mentality. If we're, if yes. we're, we, we have to be part of the kingdom. That's not going to be shaken. Yes.
That is, that's what Hebrews 11 is about. They never yeah. saw what was promised. Right. Right? They never saw what was promised. It, some of those, like, Abraham had visions of New Jerusalem. Right? Crazy. Abraham was seeking a city built not by human hands. He had visions of New Jerusalem. That yeah. guy was living nowhere near this when New Jerusalem would come, right? right. But that's going to be his eternal home. Yeah. Right. He's going to get there. Right. Or maybe he's there right now. I don't, you know, but th yes, that's the whole thing. And that's the problem with this narcissistic Christianity. We built all this stuff in our destiny. You got to live your best life now. Wrong. Wrong. No. Right. Christ did not live his best life now. He gave his life up a sacrifice for sin. He's going to live his best life in, you know, and king of kings. That's his true calling. Right. I always tell people your calling is your eternal job. Okay, yeah. your calling is not your your temporary job as a doctor or a lawyer. That's not your calling. Your calling is your eternal job. Just as, as right. a quick mini testimony for me, I, you know, when I started in ministry, it was all worship stuff. You know, and as, when you're a worship guy, it's like, what do you want? You want to lead worship for large conferences and large churches, and that's you know, that's that's where it's at. Yeah. And um, I got invited, you know, to to um, work for this large church, and they were going to pay me more money for ministry than I'd ever been paid, like way more than I'd ever been paid. And I prayed about it, and the Lord said, you know, no, not that one, right? And he told me to go to another church, small little church, worship for a small little community. And yeah. and the Lord told me, Dennis, don't worry. Because, you know, your fear if you're a worship person is like, God, but am I wasting the gift that you've given me, Right. right? And I went to a season of my life where I was barely doing any worship. I was like, God, am I wasting it though? Right? He's yeah. like, Dennis, I promise you, you're going to lead worship in the next age. Right? You're going to be a worship leader. Just trust me in this age and obey what I'm calling you to do. And I yeah. promise you, I, I'll utilize all of your the gifts and the callings that I've given you. Right? Yeah. And I just want to encourage young leaders, don't, don't get corrupted by this idolatry yeah. of ministry that so many people fall into. Yeah. No, 100%. I, mean, I, I feel like such a weight just even right now as we're talking you know and we talked about so many different things today trump presidency prophecy but you know i this topic i think you know and this revelation i think can shift so many lives the questions of insignificance the the millennial angst you know the gen z visionlessness all this stuff is is we have not yet grasped who we're going to become in the next age you know mm -hmm. and and that, you know, that that's a glorious vision, you know, that, that you know, who, who, who we're going to become, you know, that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorned its shame, you know, and I think, you know, if we're to endure persecution, you know, and suffering, it's because we're going to be an eternity minded people. And I think part of our preparation as leaders uh, uh, and young leaders who may be listening to this, but even older leaders who have younger leaders under them. It's so it's so incredibly important. And the last thing I'll share is with this guy. I, I feel a sense of anointing on this topic is one of the things that I've realized because people say, you know, do you just kill your ambition? Do you just like one of the greatest joys that I found in 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 in, in a kingdom mentality is the ability to take your dream and and give it to someone else to give it to someone younger in full joy that they're going to manifest a fuller dimension of it and you rejoicing in that you know and i think there's there's something to be said about that kind of generational transfer of, of that kind of willingness to be open-handed to say 
you know what and, and you might be a worship leader but you're raising up another worship leader and 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 the joy that you must feel because i know your heart of you know giving up something that 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 could be yours that could elevate you and saying you know what i'd rather you and i think that's the father's heart you know the father chose to glorify his son from before all eternity and i think that's something of a spiritual fatherhood mentality that we've lost in the American church, you know, and I'm from the Korean church, we definitely, I don't even know if we've ever had, is this sense of, of generational transfer, of, of a joy that all my dreams are going to be fulfilled through the next generation. It says our, their, their faith would not be complete without us, is what Hebrews says at the end of it. And, and, and you know, I, I, I've walked with Lou for so long, and I've seen his heart, you know, and he's not a perfect man, you know, and I, I talk so highly of him that I, I'm not, I'm not trying to say, I, I, I'm, you know, I want to, you know, I'm, 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 I'm deifying this man. But time and time again, he, his, his, I've seen the genuine joy in his heart where, where he could easily be walking into a greater fulfillment of his destiny. And he passes it to a younger son, a younger daughter, and says, this is your moment. I want you to have this. And, and that's the joy of a father. And I've learned that, you know, just with younger leaders around me to just to say, you know what, I could do this. I could actually feel so fulfilled in doing this. I could be reaching my next level, my next platform, but I want you to do this. Yeah. And I think that that is so kingdom. That's what Jesus did at the, at the apex of what the church age was going to be. The first apostolic age, he takes his 12 and says, I'm going to put my spirit inside of you and you guys are going to build the church. Jesus never gets to experience his church on this earth the way that, you know, the apostles did, you know, and the revival and... And I think that that is such a curb to selfish ambition. It is such a curb to vain conceit is the ability to just is, is to not just to be like, God, I don't want it. You know, oh, I don't want it in this age. You know, I, this false humility, but saying, you know what? I, I was made for this, but I also want to give it to someone else. I want to see them succeed. And I think there's something so kingdom that we've lost because quite frankly, we've been in personality driven religion. That's why. All these mega churches, you know, I remember talking to, to, to someone who said, if that senior pastor passed away at that moment, that church would collapse. And that was the saddest thing I ever heard. For sure. You know, we've built these things around singular personalities and God is looking for generational transfer, you know, and so... Yes. You know, I'm, I'm passionate so good, about man. that. I know we probably yeah. went over time, but no, no, no it's know. fine. I went two hours with Joe. It's it's yeah. podcast. Yeah, Joe yeah. Rogan goes three, four hours sometimes. Oh, great, great, yeah. Look, on on the same note, because there, there's wind on this on this topic here. Yeah. Jesus, his primary ministry was 11 people. That's crazy when you think about it. Right. The Son of God comes, his primary ministry is 11 people. Look, this is part of our terrible discernment as the American church that we have valued breadth over depth. Yes. The, all the spiritual fruit that's been born through the church came through those 11 people, which is crazy, right? Well, 12 if you count Paul. and you know, <laughs> But they influenced Paul. Anyways. Yeah. That all of that goes on Jesus' account, in my in my opinion, right? Yes, 100%. His, his heavenly account, right? Your disciples, right? That you formed and influenced, you're somewhat responsible for the fruit that they bear, and yeah. that's that's the secret to this thing. A lot of people think the way for me to be influential is to influence thousands of people, right? And there's something to that, but the the truth is, I I have this conviction that a father who deeply influences a handful of people can yes. actually have a greater eternal impact, right, than somebody who influences tens of thousands in their in their lifetime, right? Yeah. That's because if you are discipling people in a way that makes them strong disciples, they're going to bear a legacy of discipleship also. And that yes. goes down the generations, maybe until the end of the age. Yeah. 
That is crazy to think about. It is. And I, I'm, I'm so with you on this because I feel like this, it, this is the real antidote, I think, to empire building and personality-driven religion is the emphasis on generational transfer. I remember one leader saying, you know, the, the church thinks too much um, like, um, uh, uh, I forgot what he used, maybe it was prophets or something, but doesn't think enough like kings because all kings think about is succession. Right. They only think about their heir. They only think about the next generation. Right. And I and I think, you know, so much of the personality driven religion or just even, you know, I'm, we're part of the Korean church. So we understand the the hierarchical nature of the Korean church. I mean, I think, you know, uh, 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 Pastor Yonggi Cho in Korea, I think he like retired and unretired three times because all of his elders began to fight each other for the control of the church. And that's just yeah. sad to me. Right. That there was that, that it, it was so much centered on one man. And I remember. One time I, I was I was I was with Lou in Korea and he's and it was massive conference, you know, four or five thousand people conference. And he says, Look, David, I want you to take the last fifteen minutes of my slot. And they didn't I was there to assist Lou carry his bags and I can't speak Korean, so I wasn't even a translator. I just stood around looking Korean and not being helpful and just carrying his bags. Yeah. Um and and he said, I want you to speak the last 15 minutes of my slot because I believe that what is choking the Korean church is their refusal uh for generational transfer. These younger leaders are not getting a chance. It's all about the he, he, Lou says moksa names, right? He goes, it's all about these moksa names who are God, and they, they never let their younger leaders have a chance. So he said, "I'm going to model it with you. I'm going to give you the last 15 minutes of my time slot, and you're going to preach." And 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 I heard a lot of younger leaders come up to us later and said that was the most. Not that my my message wasn't that great. I, I didn't even have a message. I just shared. He wanted wanted me to share my testimony. Um, but a lot of younger leaders came and said that was the most powerful thing that I saw was that a father was willing to give his platform to his son, you know, and I think, you know, obviously, Lewis filled stadiums, Lou has, you know, done all these things. But when I look at the real impact of his life is different people that he's impacted along the way who are leading movements. A Benji Nolo who's leading Exodus Cry, which which is, is succeeding in their fight against, you know, Pornhub. I mean, it's just incredible yeah. stories. Yeah. Uh, you have, you know, all these other, you know, sons and spiritual sons and daughters that he's taken time along the way and i know that you've been marked by spiritual mothers and fathers like if you're to think of like how many people that they've discipled you know they might have a public ministry but you know they've impacted you and others like you that i mean i, I really think that that's that's legacy and we have this saying in, in our in our in our covenant community we say your treasure is my treasure because we've poured into each other no matter who gets the platform and lou is you know he has a massive platform and there's others in our community that you wouldn't even know that are behind the scenes but they get the same reward right because they've labored in the same place and and so our human eyes and cannot uh, really see that and i think when i said this you know years ago and i see it too i said the great crippling thing of our generation is desire for fame and not just in the body of christ but just in general with social media yeah. is we want we want to be known we want to be famous we want to feel significant and i don't think these are wrong desires it's they're just you know rooted in a wrong place because daniel was famous in heaven right. you know daniel chapter 9 highly esteemed in heaven the right. literal translation is everyone in heaven knows who you are yeah. you know and, and so i think you know for for you know, if, if we can get this, you know, the Korean church, you know, because you and I have been talking about the Korean church a ton. If the Korean church can get this, if, if even this self-centered model of American Christianity can get this, that we can be far more fulfilled in, in giving away. And, and specifically, I mean, influence, platform, opportunities, you know, uh, empowering others. You know, our, our fruit is so much more multiplied. Yes. And, and, I, and I just feel like, 
it's so freeing too. I don't know about you, but it's so freeing to me that that in, at Contend or other places that I've been, that I don't have to be the guy. For sure. You know, I don't have to be, you know, the person on the platform. There's so many others around us that, that we've poured into that they can do it 10 times better than we can. I don't have to travel everywhere. You know, there's, there's, there's spiritual sons and daughters and brothers and sisters who can, who could, who now, I remember uh, this one leadership guy said this. He says, your, your protégés should exceed not just your expectations. They should exceed your accomplishments. Right. And, and, and I think that is, you know, I hear Lou say this to me all the time. And it means so much to me as, as, as someone who's been, you know, fathered by him. He goes, he says all this time to me or wherever. And he goes, David, you could do this 10 times better than I can. I don't think that's true, right? Because it's Lou to me, you know, and, and I'm like, wow. You know, every time I watch him do his thing, it's like I'm learning, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, for a father to be able to say that or for us to say that to others, you know, younger people who are who are a little bit more insecure, who haven't stepped into that, you know, I, I, I want to be that, you know, um, even yes. though I'm young, you know, I want to have that heart, yes. you know, in me, you know. Absolutely. But look at the look at the fruit that Lou's born, right? If we're just, I mean, I, on, you know, I think Bill Johnson said that, it, I think God told him or something like Lou Engel's the most important man on the face of the earth at that time or whatever, right? I actually believe that that I, I, that's, could very well be true, right? Lou is definitely one of my heroes too. The fruit that he's born is insane. Um, but like he hasn't been like leading churches and stuff like that or huge ministries, right? Most of his time he's in little prayer meetings, right? right? With like a small handful of people, right? Five percent of the time. Yes, it, just the way that we think about how do you bear lasting fruit, right? Look, the predominant form of discipleship that people understand is like we have to build these large organizations with lots of people, and then you're killing yourself trying to take care of all these people and you're exhausting everyone's resources. And look, everybody knows what it's like to go to a huge church where it just feels like the level of spirituality is so shallow, right? Like we all know what that's like to some degree. And I just have to challenge the model and be like, you know, I think that we can bear a lot more fruit as a body. If we change our priorities to be about what, brings real depth what makes a disciple right who is dynamic and mature and powerful and how do we train those people this is this is a, a priority that i really developed um you know that i felt like i was really impressing upon my heart like i felt like he was saying look for good soil and then pour into the good soil right focus on good soil and that's what jesus did right he focused on the good soil uh, look, brother, it's it's not just because, you know, Lou is such an amazing father. He found in you good soil that he could pour into because this is the reality as a leader. You can be Jesus, and if and if you try and pour into bad soil, and, and not much is going to happen. Like, that literally, literally happened, right? Jesus, you know, spoke to a lot of people. A lot of people rejected his ministry, did not steward what he said well, but the good soil that he found, they bore so much fruit, Right. And I just right. feel like this is the 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 paradigm shift that has to come upon the American church that we don't need like um uh, like 10,000 rocky soils. Like right. I don't want my church filled with 10,000 rocky soil Christians. Right? right. Like it's not we're not talking about rejecting people per se. I'm just saying we've got to prioritize good soil and see our fruit, not by the sheer numbers. The numbers game drives me crazy. Right. 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 No, the numbers impress people. God, 
man looks at the outward appearance. God perceives the heart. Right. Right. God looks and finds a man after his own heart. He sees a treasure. In the same way, I say this as spiritual leaders, I tell this to to the the students that I'm disciple. I tell them, look, you need to understand. You are just as much as a treasure to me as you feel like I am to you, because that's real. Yeah. I know what it's like to try and lead a group that doesn't really want you to lead them. Yeah. This is this is freaking terrible, right? Like, no. But when I yeah. find somebody who is hungry for God and they're willing to learn, and they're hungry to learn, and they're hungry for instruction. That, to me, that's a treasure. That person is like gold. I found gold. You know what I mean? Like, and that's what we need in the the body. Man, we've got these freaking gold chunks that need to be refined, right? But they're being overlooked because so many leaders are like, no, I just need more dirt, right? Give me more dirt. <laughs> you know? I, I, I'm, that's, that's a harsh term, I, you know, but you understand the, the gist of what I mean. No, 100%. And I think, you know, tying this back into our previous conversation about persecution and coronavirus is this is screwing with all of our models. You know, yes. if your church was superficial, there's no way that they're just going to watch you online. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. But I found that those communities that have strong relationship, they start seeking each other out. They start asking you, are you going to do something? You know, Uh, you know, for me, I, we do contend every summer. Like, are you going to do contend? We need to be there. Like I get so fed there, you know, and and I'm sure for you, you got students, you know, former students, you know, whatever students. And they're like, PD, you know, like it's so funny because uh, 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 that's, you know, your students call you PD. And, and whenever I meet, you know, your former students or students, they're always like, oh, PD this, PD that. <laughs> and it's not, it's not, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an affection born out of deep relationship investment, you know, and I think that's what we need, right? And, and I think that's part of what persecution is going to bring about, right, is it's, it's going to force us to, to really do that because, you know, you know, and it might not even be the, you know, the crazy suffering of a civil war or a world war, right? But even persecution of a church, right, at a cultural level, which we've already been been experiencing, and I think we're going to continue to escalate that that cultural persecution. You know that that's going to uh, a force. You know that's going to weed out a lot of people. You know, and I, I don't say that in like a mean way. It's just it's what's been prophesied in Scripture. Right, the hearts of many will grow cold. There's going to come a great apostasy. Right, many will fall away, yeah. uh, uh, but the one who perseveres to the end will be saved. Right, there's there's this thing of a uh, 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 fellowship of the burning heart. Right, and, right. and and God always looks at holy minorities, and 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 I think, you know, this is just you know for for leaders, you know, especially for young leaders, everything is dictated on numbers, and I, I want to say that I felt that pressure. You know, it's hard when you throw on an event and only thirty people come, and the room fits four hundred. It's yeah. it's if you haven't been discouraged by that, like you have reached a, a new level of sanctification, right? <laughs> then you're thinking yeah. of like, okay, we need ushers to make sure everyone sits at the front. Like, I mean, I mean, we change the room. Like, and then, you know, and I see this temptation, you know, for a lot of young leaders, it's like, if there's not a lot of people, I, I know the angles that people take pictures at to make it seem like the room is full and all that kind of stuff, you know, and we talk with our social media team, like, let's be brutally honest, you know, even if <laughs> it's five people, like it's five people, yeah. like, cause I, I don't want us to get into a trap where we feel pressured to report numbers. Right. Yes. And, yeah. and, and then, and then, you know, there's this weird thing, you know, just in American Christianity or charismatic Christianity that numbers signify the hand of God. Yeah. Right. So we see a stadium full and we go, God is on that. Yeah. You know, or we or, or we see a stadium with only 3,000 people in the world. I guess they didn't hear God, right? But in eternity's view, that might be completely flipped. 
Yeah. You know, the 3000 person gathering in a stadium that that doesn't even fill the field. That might have been the word of the Lord. And the one that was full might have been full of compromise. Like we we can't judge these things as the eyes go. And I think persecution and COVID is forcing us to realize that we can't rely on numbers for significance. And if we don't learn that lesson, I think, you know, we're going to be increasingly disappointed. But even with where we're at, I, I want to encourage young leaders. We always say this. We say, dude. If you're in a prayer meeting, it doesn't matter if there's one pe- person, two person, or it's just you with a bunch of angels. That is the most important meeting in the world. Yeah. I don't care if the mega church down the street has 50,000 people. If they don't have a prayer meeting and you have a two person prayer meeting, your prayer meeting is more important. And that's not to criticize mega churches. It is it, 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 the Lord shows time and time again that He's looking uh, for quality over quantity. What Mario Morello would say in his book, Critical Mass, is vision material doesn't have to be much, but it does have to be pure, yeah. right? And I think, you know, we're entering into a time where we have to begin to value that. We can't overlook that, you know, and and, and not feel that pressure, you know, because I know it's on us. I know, especially for young people, young leaders in the prayer movement, you can look across the hall and be like, man, that event got like 500 people and our prayer event got like 22 people. And it's like, it can be discouraging, you know, and you have other people saying, I guess, you know, all these people, you know, all their opinions, you know, I guess yours wasn't God and theirs was God. And, you know, it's hard, you know, in our culture, but that's not how God judges things. And I I don't know if you, you feel that way, Dennis, I've definitely felt that kind of pressure. I have seen Lou be like, we're going to do a stadium and 8,000 people show up and like, and yet once the meeting starts, we come in with the faith. This is the most important meeting and it's going to change history, you know, and I think we need to constantly stay in that place before the Lord. And I think, you know, the Lord is always good to humble us. You know, I was talking with the leaders of Rock the Nations, Rustin, Gary, Rock the Nations was a movement in the 90s, massive youth movement of revival. And they said they would go from a 5,000 person event and they would cry out at the altar at the 5,000 person event, God, even if only five people were here or two person, two people were here, we would do it just for them. And they would make these outrageous declarations <laughs> at these altars with 5,000 kids and the next weekend they would go to another rock nations event where there would literally be two people you know like literally there were two people and god would tell them did you really mean that prayer because i meant it are you going to minister with the same fervor to these two people as you did to five thousand? and you know just hearing their stories you know just puts into perspective you know um you know how we should really value things you know and well bro that's that's look that's where the training is all right i don't i I don't want to brag but let me brag a little bit okay because my students yeah. Are, are the most amazing students, okay? They planted prayer meetings on their campuses. A lot of times, it's them and, like, two people, Yep. right? And they're showing up weekly, and they're contending for revival on their campus, right? With, like, three, four people at their prayer meetings most yeah. weeks, maybe. All right, that – when I look at that, I'm like, you guys are awesome. You guys are awesome. Yeah. Like, I'm so proud of that. And that's such great training. It is such great training, Right. Right. Like that's how you want to train people. Not like, you know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to disparage anyone else. Okay. I just want to say it's so healthy, right. To build this type of a mission field where like, Hey, like if we're going to do mission here in America, we're going to contend for revival. Even if nobody's with us, if we just have a couple people that will stand with us and do it together. Right. I, I, I love, I was so proud of so many of my students, right. That we did that, that did that. Yeah. And um and brother, a lot of that fruit is your fruit, man. Okay, I would tell them like, hey, we're gonna go to Contend America because it is the best place to get baptized in a vision, 
right, for national revival. And so I just want to say, like, man, yeah, you bore so much great fruit, you know, in our students' lives. And, you know, we didn't have a ton. I wish I could have brought, like, 100 people or something like that every time. But I just want to say, like, when I look at it, I'm like, yeah, I'm so thankful for, you know, what you imparted to our students. And I'm thankful for them just being good soil and being teachable. And it's like, and it's glorious, right? Like, who cares if we didn't have like a gigantic church, man? We had the presence of the Lord. Like God would show up in our services. Honestly, yeah. that's the thing. I do I do Wednesday night prayer meetings right now. We, it's a we have a small little group, but dude, it feels like God meets us in that place where the presence is there. And I I always say that's all I need, right? Yeah. Like if I've got a, a thousand person prayer meeting, and like it's just hard as a rock, you know, like it just doesn't feel like God's there. I don't want to be at that prayer meeting, right? If there's even if there's a thousand people, it's like it's a torture, right? But if I've got a prayer meeting of like five people and I feel the presence of God there and I feel the burden of the Lord like feeling my prayer, then I love that prayer meeting. And I'm content to do that. I'll do five person prayer meetings the rest of my life as long as the presence is there. Yeah. I'm I'm with you, man. And you know, I remember years ago, you know, I was talking with, you know, a leader and 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 he's and I was I was asking him, I was like, you know, we don't have much influence. We want to go mobilize prayer on college campuses in California. This was before I even moved to you know Southern California, and I was just doubting because I mean there's so many other activities and events and and whatnot. And, and this is what he said to me. I'll never forget this. He said, uh, "David, I've left prayer for Congress. I've left prayer for leaders and megachurches. But all I want is to be in a prayer meeting with five college students that are hungry for God." Yeah. You know, and I and that marked me. You know, and, and then he said, he, and then he said these words. He said. Everyone has their idea of revival is, but one thing will never change. Someone has to be willing to pay the price. And so what I would, what, I, what our message to these students is so hardcore, you know, and it's still a message that I'm preaching to myself and I would preach to others. And for those of you that are listening is, is you may not see the answer to your prayers. Revival might not come while you're at that college. Revival may not even come in your lifetime. But when it does come, let it be said, let God say this revival came because so-and-so shed their blood, sweat, and tears during those years and i have now answered their prayers you know and and i i just feel you know uh, uh this this sense of you know there's disappointment there's discouragement when you're the only two or three people and then when you graduate it fizzles out and doesn't continue and people run into all these challenges you know or it you know starts with five or ten and then by the time they graduate there's only one it's just them and they feel like this massive failure because it didn't grow and explode and that's not how the lord measures things you know the lord it's the i mean we we all know the verse he's he has taken into account every tear you save them in a bottle right i don't think you know we said this earlier you know when we were talking about prayer you know earlier in this podcast god has heard every prayer you know, he, he, I think he, he, he has stored them all up, you know, and he's so wise like that. I love what Ian Bounds says. He goes, prayers uh, uh, are eternal. They, and I'm paraphrasing, he goes, prayers outlive the, the lips of those who uttered them. They outlive an age. They outlive a world. Our prayers are ever standing before the throne of God, you know. And I, I just, you know, want to encourage those who are praying, you know, um, they're, they're not in vain, you know. Uh, 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 your God is listening to every single one of them, and and the timing is not up to us necessarily, you know. And and who God uses or what the fruit looks like is not up to us. But what is clear is that you've paid a price, and if you're the one who pays the price, you get the credit for it in the age to come. And I would always tell students and college students and high school students, I, I'll tell people, young people now, I said I believe that every city, every state, every nation, every campus 
at the end of the age, they will have a processional to the throne. And every city will present a crown. There'll be representatives from every city that will present a crown or campus or whatever. And I said, when it comes to UC Berkeley or when it comes to Northern California or whatever it was at that time, when California presents the crown to Jesus, I want to be part of that processional. I don't want to be a spectator at that point. I want to be one of those people, those delegates who lay the crown at Jesus' feet, you know, for America or for the youth of America, whatever it is, because I paid a price and, 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 you know, and I'll, you know, Back then, we were like just nobodies, no organization. We just were hungry. And even now, we're a very small organization numerically, financially, by every human metric. You know, we've, we've been privileged to have the influence or platform or impact that we've had, you know, and we don't take it for granted. And I always ask God, like, God, just increase kingdom impact, you know. But but in, in, a, in a real sense, you know, like, that's really what matters. It's not even the pat on the back of someone coming to you at the end of your life and saying, that revival I'm so glad you prayed for it. It's not even that commendation, you know, and I'm sure that that'll feel great one day. You know, I, I do want to live my life, you know, yeah. but it's going to be when the Lord accredits it. I can imagine Frank Bartleman, who prayed for the Azusa Street Revival, died shortly after the Azusa Street Revival. William Seymour, similarly, they died of a broken heart after the Azusa Street Revival. It's not many years after the Azusa Street Revival that that when they went to heaven, God presented them the crown of 750 million souls that came out of the Azusa Street Revival, and they and they get to throw it back to Jesus, you know. And so I think this idea of eternal impact, of, of living before the throne, understanding that our prayers accumulate. By the way, by the time when William Seymour and Frank Bartleman died, they they Frank Bartleman was a little bit more cognizant of it or aware of it. William Seymour, they said he died of a broken heart because he thought he missed the revival. He thought he didn't get to see the revival that was promised to him. And yet that has become one of the most influential revivals in human history you know and so it just goes to show how we feel about certain things is not what the ultimate impact is going to be or what how god sees it you know and yeah i want to live revival because he had a box on his head all the time you know those stories, right? <laughs> that's why i couldn't see <laughs> yeah man yeah that's awesome come on bro i've really enjoyed our conversation man this is yeah. great david i want to say thank you so much for coming on um you know such short notice yeah. um you know, I have I have great hope for for America. I'll just say this as a parting thing. I you know I've I I got really depressed like when Obama was elected. I got really I've I've been depressed a couple of times. I got like really discouraged. You know, um, you know, and um, and for a while, you know, I remember thinking like, God, is it is it just you know we're just gonna have you know judgment and all this stuff? And I remember um, Rick Joyner had a uh, one of his words for the week. I've I've followed his words for the week for the past twenty years now almost. Right, um, one of them had um this i just remember the end of it and it he just said you know america is not a post-christian nation because that was my that was my fear right for you know a while it was like are we just are is it done is christianity done is going to move to china now and he said christianity is not a post-christian nation it is a pre-christian nation i remember when he said that it just hit my heart so hard i just started to cry and i was just like but this faith just felt imparted into my spirit you know, and I feel like since then I've carried that. Like, I have this great hope that our latter glory is going to be greater than our former. Amen. That everything we're sowing into, even though I think we're going to have to go through major hardship, I have great hope that America, God's not done with America, that we're we're going to be even more glorious in the future than we are now. Amen. And I understand America is not the kingdom of God. You know, I'm, I get that, but it's it's the nation that that I feel called to by the Lord, right, to yeah. bring the kingdom into, and um. And so, um, David, I just want to thank you. Thank you for contending for our nation in prayer and for all that you do, man. 
Yep. Love you, man. Thanks for having me, man. This is this is great. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We'll we'll do it again. I want to have you on, you know, fairly regularly, brother. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Love you, dude. Love you too, man.